Welcome to book club, everyone. I'm so excited. So, uh, well, it's actually, I suppose it's book to Studio Ghibli Club for this, our special edition where we're covering all the Studio Ghibli adaptations. Last month, we so did Kiki's, Kiki's Delivery Service. There are so many, I'm pretty sure like 90% of the Studio Ghibli films are based off of books or comics or previous works that Hayao Miyazaki did, which is quite cool. So, Lauren and myself, Nora, we're going to be talking today with our special guest, Jenny Robbins, which we're really excited to have. Jenny just published the most fantastic book called Biscuits. It's, every, everyone should read it. It is sort of interconnected lives of women living across London, and they're just Amazing. so beautiful and delicious. And Jenny, do you want to say anything about where people can get the book, where they can find you? um well they can find me on the social medias um mm -hmm. at jenny robbins on twitter and at my words fly on instagram uh, i was gonna say something about the book but I, i'm not gonna say it as well as you did so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's it's a it's my graphic novel it's out now you can, you can buy it from reputable booksellers and yeah. myriad editions website yeah and uh, makes a really good uh holiday gift for people that uh, like jokes about poo and sex, um, but also really detailed <laughs> drawings of London. Exactly. And some sort of cookie bake baking tips, I think, as well. Um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think uh, the holidays are definitely about the sweets as well. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's about and it's about friendship and love. So yeah. those are very important things. That so the perfect holiday them. gift that exactly. everyone should buy for all their friends. You are probably Absolutely. over the age of 30. <laughs> <What? laughs> I'm not over the age of 30. 13. 13. Oh, <laughs> 13. <laughs> as I was talking to you about this earlier, at the age of 13 and under, I was reading quite mature literature, so. Yeah, uh, I mean, at, yeah. at the discretion of the preteen. Yes, there we go. So today, we're going to be talking about the Earthsea trilogy by Ursula Le Guin. So we're going to talk about first, where each of us interacted with the book slash the movie first. When did you read it? When did you watch the movie? Which came first? Lauren, do you want to start it off? Where, where did you... I'm going first, if you like. Yeah, when did you read the book? Slash see the movie, do you remember? It, uh, oh, I read the book when I was... Well, so the book, yeah, I mean, it came out in 1968, and, so it's proper yeah. old school. Well, the first, um, yeah, but the I first remember book. getting it out. Yeah, so going, I, I think I got it out of the library when I was like eight or nine. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I used to go down to the library and just basically we were allowed like eight books at a time. So I just used to get armfuls of books. Um, and I, yeah, I remember reading it and thinking, woohoo, wizards. Um, and absolutely loving like, I kind of like ate the first three books in, in one go. Not sure I understood them terribly well at that point. Um, but yeah, and then so I was completely delighted when, because I love Ghibli so much when the, um, when the film came out because I was like it's already my favorite and now one of my favorite studios is gonna make it so um yeah but I saw the film in the cinema I believe mm -hmm. uh, when it came out so okay. yeah like big fan 
Ghibli and and Le Guin. So I was just like, yes, match made in heaven. What about yourself, Jenny? Um, so Ursula Le Guin is my mother's favourite writer. Um, and she read the Earthsea trilogy to us when we were very young, um, which I don't remember particularly well. I think there were certain things, certain parts of the book that definitely stayed with me. Um, but it was like bits and pieces because it, I think it was kind of like a bedtime story situation. And I probably fell asleep through some parts of it. And then I reread um, definitely the first one in my teens and probably the second one. I, then I reread all three um, and the two of the other five last year. Okay. Uh, so I revisited, which was lovely. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't seen the film and this uh, saying I wanted to join you for this was basically in order to bully myself into finish watching the film because I'd started watching it and I got bored. <laughs> um, and I was sitting half watched on my Netflix and I was like, if I'm going to talk about it, I'll have to watch the other half. So I did. Yeah. Fair enough. And the second half, I think, is better than the first half. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. It is definitely, I think, this has been a good excuse slash push to kind of make yourself get through some film slash books that you've always been meaning <laughs> to finish. Yeah, I think so oh, yeah, for definitely. me, I wasn't a real hard sci-fi fantasy fan as a kid. I never really got into The Hobbit and stuff like that. So I never knew who Ursula Guin was as a kid. As I said, Jenny, I was really a romance novel reader. I loved my Fabio books. And it wasn't until <laughs> I had the coolest professor who we did this dystopian literature and politics course. Nice. And... He, he introduced us to Philip K. Dick and Ursula Le Guin and Neil Gaiman. And so we read all those books and we didn't read the Ursi trilogy, but we read The Lays of Heaven, which is more of like a sci-fi book that she did, which I really enjoyed. And so, but I didn't read, I saw the movie sort of around when it came out, but on TV, I forget how, but I don't think I finished it either. Cause I just kind of, it's sort of the middle of it meanders off. And I think I might've given up, but then it was the first time reading this for me, the actual book, but I was aware of its existence. Yeah. I think um, I read a lot more of the, I mean, I've, I've definitely not read all of Le Guin, um, which obviously my mother has, but um, I've read sort of bits and pieces, quite a lot of the more uh, spacey stuff. That's not, that's entirely the wrong word. What's the word for all the books that she wrote? The uh, Acumen, yeah, that's the yeah. one. In her Acumen universe, I've read quite a lot of those. Um, and obviously I have like a slightly, it's always a little bit awkward, something that your parents love, isn't it? Because you feel like a pressure to like it and then you rebel against it. And then you're like, <laughs> that's not cool, man. But um, obviously she's an amazing writer. So there's a lot of good things to say about it. Does your mum know you're doing this? No, I have not told her um, because I didn't want to talk to her about it until I'd done it <laughs> because oh. I was worried she'd just tell me like a million things and yeah, you want to bring your own ideas yes well we can <laughs> hopefully count as your mum as someone who will listen back yeah to like definitely do a shout out hi mum <laughs> hi Jenny's mum hi Jenny's mum thanks for listening what's she called your mum sorry what's your mum called oh she's called Hannah hi, hi Hannah, Hannah. <laughs> I mean, she sounds like a cool mom if she was reading you Ursula Le Guin as a Very kid. Cool. Yeah, yeah she, she's all right. 
<laughs> so if Lauren, if you should like to start off talking about the book okay, that it's all so about. This is this is a lot of book considering <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, three, three but well four books. They're four four books smooshed into one film. So I've tried to make the, the synopsis as short as possible, but <laughs> they're not that short. Uh, so yeah, so basically, um, so Ursula de Guin, um, she, her publisher wanted her to write like books for uh, adventure-minded boys. I don't know what they are, but um, but yeah, so she 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 basically wrote the books in 1968. So this was like a long because the first book was 1968, last book was uh, the other wind was 2001. So that's like an epic amount of time, but the first three. She wrote um, between 68 and 72. And then the fourth one, she wrote in 1990. By that time, she'd completely changed what she wanted to do with her writing. So it's pretty fascinating to read the first three and then read the last one and be like, woof, she's an entirely different Nguyen mm-hmm. at that point. Um, but yeah, so she, she basically wrote like um, sci-fi fantasy stuff. Um, but very kind of like solid world building with proper rules um, and like quite, uh, there's a lot of nature going on in characters and yeah. I mean, I, I've written here that it was kind of like Harry Potter, but without the coziness or the butterbeer. Like, <laughs> it's the story of a boy wizard, right? So just like, I'll just kind of quickly go into like what the books are. But she was like, she was very much based in Taoism, feminism and the idea of transformation. Um, and she learned a lot from one book one to book four. Okay, so I'm gonna just basically tell you how they all go. Uh, so book one um, is about Ged, who is a, a small island goat herding boy um, who discovers that he rocks some pretty powerful magic. Um, so magic in the world of Earthsea um, works by knowing the true name of things. So once you know what someone's something is called, you can control it, um, but the names are all secret. So Ged goes by the name of Sparrowhawk, and no one knows what his real name is. He has it's, three names. It's Ged, right? by the way. <laughs> <laughs> a Ged but it, he has a different name at the beginning. Does he, right? He doesn't have a name at the beginning, and then he gets... They don't, they they don't have names when they're children. And, yeah. then, and then they, they get, get their, their, name. their true names. Yeah, and then, so, they get, so they have no name at the start, then they get their true name, which is secret, and then they get their fake name, which everyone calls them. It's, it's a little confusing, but yeah, yeah. so he's, everyone calls him Sparrowhawk, but yeah. he's Ged. And uh, you only get to know someone's true name if you can work it out by magical ways or if someone tells to you and that, okay. So yeah, so wizards just wander around naming things, making the things they name do things. That's like a man them. thing to do. Yeah. They feel hiding like they can name whatever they want. Exactly. Hiding their names from other people. And um, and showing off because that's basically what they do. Although uh, there's a book in the book about how you shouldn't show off. Yeah, I know, but but they show off. I mean, they're basically <laughs> just like wandering around being manly. Um, <laughs> so the thing with magic, though, is that they're all all the wizards are men. There are no ladies. Um, women can do magic, but apparently they're a bit shit at it. Yeah, <laughs> they're they like were, healer uh, lady women. Yeah, so know. there's a, a phrase that everyone uses that's like, that's as weak as woman's magic. So like if you, you know, like do something that's a bit crap, then that's their kind of like put down. 
Um, so it describes things that are a bit pants, basically. Weak as women's magic. Where's uh, our women, feminism? Uh, yeah, women are local, <laughs> basically local witches who do stuff with herbs. Um, and only manly men can do the name thing. So that's that's the premise here. So the way it works is uh, Ged's whisked away to Rogue Island where he gets trained in a wizard school. He makes enemies with a snotty rich kid um, and he accidentally releases an evil shadow while he's trying to conjure the dead, as you do, yeah. as you know. And he's trying to impress a girl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it's basically, yeah, they're just kind of trying to show off to each other and, and he accidentally releases evil shadow um then the rest of book one of of made it into one tiny little paragraph is ged running away or towards this evil shadow and then they chuck in a couple of dragons a bit of changing into a hawk and not being able to change back again and some quality chase companionship time with his mate vetch who he uh, hung out with in wizard school uh, and in, in the final face-off ged absorbs his own shadow because it was a part of him all along. Mm-hmm. He knew. He knew. <laughs> That's the entirety of book one is, is really long chase. <laughs> that was chase amazing. <laughs> really long chase scene and a bit of manly showing off. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And it's all dudes as well. There's like, it's there's very many... testosterone field. Yeah. I think one woman turns up and she's just a bit sexy, basically. And then that's it. Yeah. The, it's the, the daughter of the local witch right uh yeah well there's a woman that that like a kind of like a uh, daughter of a king who they're trying to impress oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. Point. But, oh, yeah no, we, wait we... i was trying to remember this because where is it in the books where the witch at the beginning he was trying to impress with the shadow comes back and she's married the king is that in the first book mm, i don't know now he's and he's confused me and he traps and he traps get she traps him but he manages to escape her like magic dreamland yeah i mean basically there's a lot of uh the shadow keeps turning up when he's doing things yeah he's like having a perfectly lovely time and then dun, 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 in the corner the shadow yeah. so it's basically like a you know in a zombie film where or a, like a horror film where someone's running really fast and then the monster is walking quite slowly behind them but always seems to catch up it's it's like that but but for or a, just like a fairly potent metaphor for mental health difficulties yeah. Pretty much. he's haunting himself yeah it's his he, own he, psyche he, driving him crazy it's me like the black but there's a whole depression thing going on there definitely yeah can't hide from the black dog okay so then book two we're a completely different place. So book two is set in a in a, a completely dark underground labyrinth, mm-hmm. which I'm already totally on board with. Um, and it's set around a girl called Tenar, who when she was five, she's basically just whisked away from her family. Tiny, tiny girl. She's the Dalai Lama, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. lady. Um, and she becomes priestess to the nameless ones who are basically... Uh, Gods with no names, as their title suggests. Um, so she has to live in this labyrinth with no light. Um, she's, her name is taken away, um, and she's called Aha, which means the eaten one, because she has been eaten by the nameless ones. Um, and her entire first half of the book is, is her stumbling around in the dark, feeling the walls and getting to know the labyrinth. So that's what she's up to. So she's got all this power, but she hasn't really got any power at all because she's stuck in this labyrinth. Um, and then lo and behold, Ged from book one rocks up 
And he's got a light on in the labyrinth. How dare he? Very he nice. comes in metaphorically with his wand. A big old wand, waving, waving it about. The woman's labyrinth. Um, <laughs> if this is it, some sexual innuendo, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so uh, Ged is looking for the ring of Aerith Akbi, who is like a um, proper famous old school strokey beard wizard. Um, uh, and the ring will bring peace to Earthsea when they find it, because they can't just sit down and have a chat about it. They need a magical ring to sort out that. Um, so basically, she's like, Tenar's supposed to kill him, but she's like, he's quite interesting, actually. So instead, she locks him up and starts sneaking him, like, across the bread. And like, think it, She's like, ooh, a hot dude. I've yeah. never seen a dude I mean, she before. She's like, like, ooh. He's like, he's, he's actually... No one talks to her because she's so important, yeah. but he talks to her. So she's like, oh, I'm having a little bit of a chinwag here. This is interesting. Then Stockholm Syndrome sets in and he starts to like really like her. So they're having proper, you know, like, oh, what's going on with why? Why am I stuck here? Who are these nameless ones? What on earth am I doing with my life? So after many chats, basically, she starts to learn to be a little bit rebellious as well, because I mean, Ged's pretty rebellious in his showing off with shadows in book one. How um, do we so, think he is in the second book? Um, and then basically they just escape into the world <laughs> uh, in a, you know, like all the, basically the tombs are falling around them. It's, it's pretty much the end of an 80s movie. Yeah. The, the tombs are falling around them and they're like, woohoo, and they've got the ring. It's all good. And um, they hop in a boat and they sail off to save the world. Hurrah. Yeah. So that's well, the end of she, that one. She, she goes back to have no have nor yeah, yeah yeah but i was i was asking how old do we think get is at this point so like, i see a teenager at the end or like 20 or something maybe at the no, end of i the think he's book? probably i feel like he's like late 20s i think he's done some things he's definitely had some adventures yeah um, it implies that he's got a bit of maturity about him um but he's... Yeah, all of the books have like a sense that there's a lot of things happening in between in yes. the world and elsewhere on the islands. Yeah. And then she's like mid-teens. Yeah, she's, she's yeah, she's definitely not done much with her life. <clears throat> Bless her. <clears throat> but according to um Le Guin, there's uh, 10 to 15 years between book one and two. So that okay. kind of him like, yeah, like late 20s, early 30s, I guess. Yeah, because the way she like uh, she like sees him he sounds like kind of slightly weathered looking yeah he's exactly she recognizes he's older yeah, yeah yeah exactly i mean she's she hasn't seen a man that isn't a eunuch before but um i guess she can work it out yeah but yeah so yeah and then they kind of like run off into the sunset with a ring they're gonna save the world so and that's the end of book two and uh, then book three Farthest Shore um, starts... So uh, much happens in this book. <laughs> yeah, so it, it starts like uh, at a point where Ged basically has it all. So his Archmage of the, with the Wizarding School it broke now. He's probably got a really awesome beard because, you know, he's really seen and done things. Um, everyone thinks he's brilliant. And he's got Aerith Akbi's ring back where it's supposed to be. So peace is like pretty much there, but not quite yet. Um, but he's probably a bit bored because he spent most of his books wandering around. So uh, 
at, at a certain point, uh, Prince Aaron rocks up and he's like a shiny, shiny eyed youth um, who has come to tell him that um, magic is basically disappearing. So people are forgetting the names of things and they're pretty much like magic is, magic's a bit rubbish, isn't it really? It's all tricks, isn't it? And like on Roke, where the wizard school is, they're kind of like shut away from the world. So, you know, Prince Aaron coming in and telling them this is like a bit of a, oh my God, what? So it starts like a kind of a buddy, a buddy comedy between the wizards and the prince. You go off to try and work out what's happening um, and hunt for answers. So they jump in their little boat which has an eye drawn on the front of it. <laughs> it's called Look Far. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like Look Far. Super cute. And um, they go island hopping, basically, um, on a quest that takes in a little bit of shameful drug use, uh, <laughs> a little bit of life uh, of rescue from slavery when Aaron gets nabbed by some slavers and then Gid rocks up and does some actual magic, which he doesn't do very often, actually to save him yeah it is that is so, I, I bet i forget who directed Waterworld, but i bet he read that <laughs> section of the book and it was like i want to do a movie <laughs> on rap people <laughs> totally totally sounds so um, good they hang out they hang out with some people who make tapestries at a certain point which is a nice little yes. crafty bit this the silk makers yeah right? um and it's basically they're just trying to find out why no one wants to do magic or cares about magic anymore. It's kind of drained out of the world. Um, and then there's another epically long chase scene in boats across islands, and they end up in the in the brilliantly named Mountains of Pain, which uh, <laughs> sounds like a lovely place for a holiday. And um, they find a place between life and death, which is like a portal between light and dark. And then they find an evil wizard who is at the heart of it all, whose name is Cobb. Which always makes me laugh. Not the most menacing name. I'm like, that's what a bread roll is. She she missed a step. (laughs) Cobb. (laughs) But honestly, that's what a bread roll is called in the Midlands. Yeah. Yeah. Chip Cobb is is a uh, is a yeah basically a roll with some chips in it. So that's what I had in my mind. Um, (laughs) They have like a a face off with Cobb, and uh, Cobb is kind of who you know who's kind of like would have got away with it if it wasn't for you pesky child and wizard and then and dragon um, yeah dragon. They dragon. Him. and then a dragon turns up and um and flies them back to roke and it turns out that um that aaron it was the king that earth has been waiting for all along who knew undeserved is what i say <laughs> <laughs> he did nothing to get that nothing. crown there's there's a point in there's a point in that book where he just gets really grumpy with Gid and that I, yeah when they're in the boat I was just like, like that damn boy <laughs> so ungrateful child I know so yeah so that's book three so it's it's I mean it's you know it's it's all going well for Earthsea really and that, you know like at that point they got their king they got their ring which is a nice rhyme um and then book four mm-hmm. is a whole different book. So um, in book four, we go back to Tenar, who escaped from the tombs. And um, she's living life as a normal lady. Um, so she's leaving her eating one day's behind. Um, she's married. She's had two kids. She's growing turnips, living in a little farmhouse somewhere with goats. Um, but she can still find her way to the toilet in the dark without putting the light on because she's still got her powers. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
she Tenar basically adopts a girl called Theru, um, who she finds raped and half burned in a fire. Oh. Uh huh. I mean, it's pretty harsh. To be, yeah. This book is just like woof. Um, the girl obviously is quite mistrustful and a bit wild. Um, Ged turns up mopey as hell because <laughs> after book three, he basically lost all his magic. So mm -hmm. he takes his impotence up into the hills and herds goats. He is like, he is he's not having a good day in yeah. any way, shape or form. And um, the, the rest of the book is pretty much the two females running away from evil men who were mm -hmm. led by a wizard um, who is a massive fan of Cobb, R.I.P. Cobb from yeah. uh, book three. fanboy. He, he just wants to know where Ged is, but he asks in a very forceful manner. Um, but I love this book with my whole heart. It is honestly like one of the nicest books. It's so different from the others. Um, it deals with relationships and everyone in the world that isn't wizards. So women, <laughs> old people, like people who aren't special enough to be part of the wizard world. And they're lovely and they have feelings and they go through their life and, you know, they actually, you know, make a difference. They're not wandering around showing off. Um, it's got proper heart, like yeah. compared to the others, it's it's just like a, you can see how much she's grown in that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, there's it's still a book about running away because <laughs> that's yeah. the theme of all there's of it. There's a lot of running. I every there's single book is about so running, running away. away. It is, and that, so in this one, basically, the running away is interspersed by smashed the patriarchy of wizards chats, and they mm -hmm. are good chats. There's a lot yeah. of very simple kind of like, why on earth has this been happening to us for so long? But it's so beautifully put and there's such a sadness. You can yeah. almost feel like she's looking at the book she was she wrote before and kind mm -hmm. of going, oh, I wish I'd put more ladies in them. It's very interesting. Anyway, there's a big face off at the end of that one as well with the dark she wizard. Always a face off, and uh, it turns out that Thoreau was actually part dragon. Hooray! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, dragon turns up and kind of like saves the day a little bit um, and asks Thoreau if she would like to go after dragon human paradise. Wouldn't we all? Uh, and she says, Nah, thanks, I'm all right here. And then they just sit around the fire sewing and eating turnips. The end. So, there you go. That's a ghibli sounding books. scene. <laughs> 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 eating turnips exactly so um, all, I mean there's a there, there's a massive like kind of feeling around nature and being like connected to the world in all four books but in that fourth book it really hits home that yeah. everyone's kind of like connected and part of this like lovely world um yeah and 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 Ged does come back actually at the end of uh, the fourth book mm -hmm. uh doesn't really do much but um he's kind of like yeah I'm all right with having no magic now it was a bit shit anyway and then they all just like sit down and have some soup it's quite, it's quite nice it's quite a nice cozy ending really um, yeah I, I mean I have to confess so I did the audio book of the last book uh yeah. it's lovely it's so lovely but um but yeah I, it's totally worth a read and mm. and it is because you you know you read the first three and meet all the characters and, and it is very manly manly it's like a breath of fresh air that fourth one which is surprising because she she made so many conscious political choices especially about skin color so making that all the yeah. main 
characters were black or dark skinned and then sort of the essentially the villains because there is she's she's white yeah yeah because what's the name of the island that he goes to at one point where it's all white people and they're all evil oh it begins with a k right yeah (laughs) i forget that where that like kkk I think it's the first fantasy series to, to ever cast dark-skinned people in the main roles. Even though that's like any of the book covers or TV adaptions. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But, but you know, I just like looking at it, you know, it was, even though the whole feminist thing is, is very itchy for me in those first three, mm-hmm. the fact that she did that, you know, shows that she was starting to kind of think differently to everyone else. Yeah. Um, but That's it's interesting. Like, before Woke was Woke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And and I like that, because I've, I've seen like interviews with her where she's specifically talked about the fact that she did kind of like look back on those books and go, oh my gosh, I didn't treat women very well at all. Like, I think feminism kind of like struck her at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And then she looked back at the rest of her work and was like, wish I'd thought about that earlier but then rather than you know like kind of like go oh I'm just going to leave that behind to then very bravely stand up and write that fourth book in the same world Mm -hmm. and tip the whole world on its heads in terms of gender and stuff is that's super brave and kind of lovely because you can imagine all the grumpy incels who loved the first three just being like oh my god ladies (laughs) you know if that was on Twitter now can you imagine the the doxing that would be going on in terms of that change. I think the one thing though, I do notice that she does, and obviously the adaptations sort of take a different perspective on this. There's no romance. Yeah. Mm. No one, even when it's the book with uh, Tenar and Ged that they Well, know... you say there's no romance, but in book four- Okay, well, I can't correct it, but in her- spoilers. <laughs> I mean, in her original thought around the series, no one had any romantic interaction whatsoever. But I tell you what's nice, actually, is that in book four, when they do get it on, because, you know, the Tenar and Ged do, spoilers, mm-hmm. make the sweet love, they're both, they pretty much look at each other and they're like, yeah, we're both quite old and ugly now. Let's do it. It really, it really is that simple, and it's kind of lovely actually. And then they, they just, they have sex in front of the fire. <laughs> it's not very it's romantic. Uncomfortable. But um, it's on furs. It, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not very Game of Thrones. That's what's nice about it is that yeah. they're just, they're basically like, do you know what? We should have done this earlier, but let's yeah. do it now. And then well, they should have done just, it when she was like a child and he was in his twenties. So it's well, kind of. <laughs> But they just become like this comfy couple who just like support each other and they're on equal terms. It is, it's a lovely thing to read the way that they kind of, because it isn't like he's suddenly, because she's had that life before. She's been like a wife mm-hmm. and to a husband who was a bit of a shit actually. He, you know, like expected his dinner. They say stuff like he expected his dinner to be made when he came in. And if it wasn't, he was a bit grumpy. Um, and her son's a bit of a shit to her as well. But get just like, he's like, you you helped me out of the you know the tombs and we got that ring together they, they're just it, they are a proper balanced couple and it's really nice so even the romance you're not going Ugh, like romantic subplot it's just like yeah that makes sense and then they just get on with shit it's lovely it's such a good book 
love it so much I wonder if <laughs> I wonder if that's a reflection on maybe her personal life because I did read like when she got married to this Frenchman that she kind of stopped writing for a while and was like being a homemaker and I wonder if that sort she of, like, felt hard in love yeah she felt yeah. hard in love they are such a sweet they are so couples girls hashtag um because mm-hmm. they really just like she's giggly in love with him and it's really nice. And that definitely, she she fell in love with love at that point, I think. Um, and it, I think it made it easier for her to see the rest of the world. Because, you know, yeah. once you once that itch is scratched, then you can kind of stand back from things a little bit. <laughs> once you get laid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, once you find someone who, who you know, you, you can kind of go on the adventure with. And that's definitely how it feels with them. You know, when she talks about him, they're like, buddies they make each other laugh um so yeah I think that it definitely influenced her um do but you not think the fourth book redeems the three books in a way so much so much because I for me personally I didn't really like the trilogy I liked no. book two the yeah. most but I had a really hard time with book one so just like talking about book one on its yeah. own because she wrote that published that on its own its own entity yeah yeah, yeah. How did you feel reading that first story about Ged? I like I I liked it when I was little, but I think I only liked it because it had wizards and dragons in it. Mm-hmm. And then I read it again probably about four years ago. And then I read it again now. When I read it four years ago, I was just like, oh, this is not as good. Yeah. And then when I read it now, I I'd read a lot more about her mm-hmm. and how she changed things. So basically I was just excited for book four to happen because I knew it was coming. Can you do that? Can you, it's hard because you need to like read it in its whole on its own, but can it be redeemed by the fact that like 30 years later, she was like, oh yeah, maybe I didn't do such a good job. I mean, I think they're definitely problematic, the first three in terms of how women are treated. That week as women's magic put my back up so much when I first read that phrase, but um, she was a different person. Mm -hmm. So it is, completely fascinating to see a writer start to realize how the world works and how the world works for her through those books so she got, I, she got the clout of success yeah, as well didn't go back thinking they're amazing really i think i went i went back to read the first three in order to read the fourth one i think last mm-hmm. year so i was like i want to remind myself of all of this stuff yeah um and yeah a yeah, lot of the yeah. world building is really good like I like a lot of the really long, boring bits when they're just sailing a boat around. <laughs> I, think I like yeah, how it yeah. gives on these really slow chase scenes. It's, it gives you like the actual feeling of how long that would actually take. Yeah. Um, and things like that I like. But yeah, definitely it is like it's fairly juvenile. It's it's that um, swords and sorcery kind of yeah. attitude. While at the same time, like the magic is still a more interesting kind of magic than you get in a lot of those. Books. Yeah, totally. I like that. The whole like naming things and stuff is lovely, but I and, didn't and like hard work. I didn't like anyone in the books in the first three. I didn't like anyone. Yeah, they're not very likable. He's no, really I, annoying, Ged. Like he, for me, in the first book, he does not redeem himself when he moves no. with his shadow. He's still kind of a jerk. He was basically he was showing off. He and then he kept showing off. Even though he knew it was getting more and more dangerous. And then he found out that it was all his own fault at the end. It was part of him. It's just like, what What just happened here? 
<laughs> it's just like a guy basically finding out that he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I... <laughs> I think my favorite bo- bit of the first book actually was when he gets stranded on the desert island with the two old people. Oh, that was wicked. <laughs> That was, I was like, ooh, these people are so interesting. These yeah. like children who were abandoned on an island and managed to survive there. That was my favorite section when it wasn't about him. But look at, look at what's interesting. You know, the interesting bit is when a, a lady turns up. Ooh, yeah. what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I mean, yeah, that, that story, because it isn't, because like, yeah, that first book is just basically about his ego and mm-hmm. and so it's him just dragging his ego around. I don't care about that. I'm like, oh, you poor thing. You're 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 you've got power. That's a real hardship. It just it felt very privileged to me. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't care about him. Didn't care about him in book two. When he turned up in book two, I was having such a good time reading about like yeah. Tenar and her feeling her way around the walls and working out where she was in the world. What was her friend's and name? She had as well. She had, she had a she had a little fat friend, <laughs> a little chubby girl that yeah they kept eating everything plump and eats all the things, and I mean but that word to me was that's so interesting, like the fact that she you know there was no lights down there and she kind of like she has to be super harsh, like no men are allowed in there and if they turn up she has to have them killed, and she's like yeah all right then this is how I'm going to kill them like they turn her into a beast really. And she seems like a really sweet girl. And I could have read a whole book about her. And then Ged turns up and kind of like, yeah. hit, well, they kind of save each other. But I just, I wasn't interested in him being there. I Like, yeah, she, to me, was a super interesting character. And when he turned up, I was a bit like, oh, God, here he is again. <laughs> and then obviously, they're just running away again. Always running away. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I sped through the second book. The first book was such a slog. And then when I met her, I was like, oh, this universe seems so fascinating. Yeah. And her and her psychology. Because she has yeah. much more of an emotional range than I think he yeah. does. And we get more in her head. Whereas yeah. I think Ged, we don't get a lot of his own personal thought no. process. Yeah. Ever. And also she's like, she hasn't got any powers and yet she's doing amazing stuff. She knows that labyrinth from just like working it out. So she is a smart cookie. And, and she has to uh, um, negotiate all this incredible politics with yeah, the- Yeah, exactly, yeah. And she's had no life experience. She's whisked away from her parents from her at five. And then she just ends up being this, she has a name taken away. She's separated from everyone else and she can see everyone else kind of interacting and she's not a part of it. I mean, she's in a, a messy place, really. So she's a fascinating character. What do you think as a writer, Jenny, having just written oh. a book, <laughs> um, the, the writing process of creating sort of an internal dialogue for characters where it, it does seem like Ursula Le Guin connects more with Ara than Ged in sort of how yeah. she writes their personality. For you, what do you think of that process and like how do you get into someone's head? <laughs> oh wow, what a hard question. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I guess um, when, when you feel like you know a character, it's like they live in your head and you know what they'd say in different situations, isn't it? When, you, um, when you're really comfortable writing a character, 
you don't have to be like oh let me look at my notes what would they do now you you know them like you know them like a friend mm-hmm. um and I guess Ged always kind of feels like a, a very private person of a friend yeah like she knows him inside and out but she she doesn't give a voice to that I guess yeah he's very surface he is very mm-hmm. surface um, and he's yeah he is but he's also very sort of quiet and grumpy and brooding isn't he so yeah he's a little bit like the um yeah like stand stand by your husband and don't question his moods because it's not worth it it's not much there like you're better off talking to women (laughs) just just let him be grumpy and give him acknowledge that he has more power than you in certain circumstances but uh essentially just get on with it I think this is why I had throughout reading it I had such trouble connecting emotionally with Ged and investing myself in the story it just was like, a real struggle. He's a kid who's like would rather be a mentor than a mentee. Yeah. He doesn't want to be. I think he, he enjoys his role once he meets Aaron in the third book mm. like he likes to have people yeah. following him around. But and, he doesn't he doesn't want to learn even when he's in school in the first book. He's just like, oh, I could do this really easily. He doesn't like put his head down and actually start learning until he fucks up. And then he kind of does it again, but he doesn't seem to learn from what happens to him. He's still arrogant and he's he's not vulnerable in any way. And I can never connect to people who want, you know, show me a bit of brokenness, please. Mm-hmm. But he just doesn't just, at all. He's like being, being in the land of the dead. Yeah. Well, everyone oh, is yeah. zombies, so he has to. <laughs> but I still feel like you don't really know what's going on there. You know, mm-hmm. he's almost surprised by the fact that he keeps making this shadow happen. Like, oh, re- really? Like, he's literally just thrusting his hand into a fire and going, oh, that's hot, and then doing it again, and then doing it again. Oh, like, humans never do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're always- all really good at learning about our own self-destructive habits and conquering them. But the thing is with, with you know, like Tenar is that she she's constantly learning and growing. And she does that just in that first half of the book. She's she goes from someone who's being told you have, you know, like you have all the power, but actually you have no power to going, actually, I know this world. I'm going to get to know this world really well so that I, you know, like I have more power than you. I'm just not going to tell you. And that's, you know, eventually how they escape and stuff. So they're so opposite to each other. She's like a sponge with all the information. And he's like, I know all this already. I know all this already. I'm really good at this. Like, he's got confidence. It's, it's so male-female, yeah. honestly. Do you, do you think it's all just like a big metaphor for the different power that men and women have in the world? Yeah, I, I do. Okay. And actually, I, I don't think she knew that's what she was doing. <laughs> that's what she decided later. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's, but that happens a lot with, with art and stuff, right? Is that you, you write or you make or you draw or whatever something and all of the stuff that's informed that creation is in you, but you don't consciously do it. And then you look back at it afterwards and you're like, damn, because it's like a little bit of your brain is suddenly on the page or, you know, like that artwork in front of you. So I, it's understandable to me that she she wrote all of that and then she kind of like looked back and went, ooh. I mean, so she was 40 when, uh, just turned 40 when this book came out, the first one. And then she's in her 60s when she writes 
the yeah, version. So like, you didn't mature into, into your actual understanding of the world till you're about 60, right? Yeah, but because she'll be like outside of having been a mother and kind yeah. of moved beyond that aspect of her life. So to have reflection on having raised children and gone through her marriage, yeah, I, you can definitely see how that would change things. Especially looking at the relationships of the these characters, you know, Ged versus Aaron versus Tenar. Yeah, I mean, the world also changed, you know, around her. So she would have been, you know, like had access to more information at that time mm -hmm. as well. You know, we had Gloria Steinem who <laughs> came about, <laughs> changed things. Also, um, she was in like Seattle. You would think that's sort of like, or Portland, a bit of a hippie town that it is quite interesting so her her son who looks after her estate still lives there he runs an art gallery there nice. oh. involved in that scene yeah and then even in the third book i was like my god is aaron really gonna inherit the income kingdom he's so <laughs> entitled and yeah. moody constantly he 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 literally does nothing for me anyway, that I notice in the third book that deserves for him to rule this land or these islands. Well, maybe he's, he's just like a, a copy of Ged. It's like Ged is grumpy and not very good at making friends and then he gets to be Archmage. So maybe that's like what you need for leadership according to Ursula Le Guin is just to be a bit like not great. Um, <laughs> bit shit. <laughs> survive hanging out on a boat for a long time and talk to some dragons. They are definitely the most likable, I think, the two of them when they're with the raft people because I feel like they're the most uh, humbled because they have no uh, really ability to survive. It's yeah. only yeah, yeah, yeah. because really those raft people are there. Really yeah. is, I think, like, oh yeah, actually the happiest people in this world are outside of society and yeah. um just live the simple life well that's yeah. it isn't it well, it's that you, you go from book one where it's just like wizards are the best we all love wizards and then by the end of it it's like oh my god wizards are assholes you know it really <laughs> she goes a long distance in it but um but it, it is really interesting to see how like it yeah in, in book three she is starting to get in that direction she's definitely like these people are having the best time and they're not wizards and then yeah so, the wizards just turn up being wizardy when i was reading it i was waiting for the villain to be jasper at the end yeah so was i always <laughs> so yeah so yes just to clarify jasper's his snotty enemy in book one and then he never comes back i know what bring back jasper it would have made so much sense who knows what the happened to kind of comes out of nowhere they like make a brief message uh mention of this you know, baddie guy that he kind of took yeah. care of at the beginning of book three, but yeah. then never talked about again. And then we meet him at the end. And for me, I think I had the problem that I had, there was no tension because I didn't have any understanding of Cobb and where he no. came from. Yeah. I mean, I found like the, the, the end of book three was just like some kind <laughs> of, <food. laughs> I was just like, what on earth? I don't know what's happening here. I, 
isn't it it's living in this world and the joy is draining out of it and everything is quite shit it's like growing up yeah and living in a capitalist society yeah yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. and like you can vanquish one villain but essentially you've still got to live in capitalist society well that's what's that is what's strange (laughs) it's it seems like a bigger thing and then oh but it was just this one dude and it's like really well that um, doesn't seem to fit with how much some people in leadership can make quite a big difference yeah yeah (laughs) i mean it does make sense but it it, he wasn't in front of everyone he's like some secret man (laughs) so yeah but no you're right he's a drug dealer (laughs) yeah but it essentially it's just like society is is just starting to crush the joy out of magic Mm. really and then, yeah, and then it was, it was the bad dude. So let's get rid of him. But in that, in the last book, it's still a bit shit mm-hmm. for everyone else. That's what yeah. she's kind of saying. There's kind of a contradiction in the whole it's universe because it has these prophecies and it has these like, oh, if the Ring of Arthakbe is in Havnor, then everything will be right in the world. But it it yeah. wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh well, like there's a it prophecy we're yeah. gonna have a king and everything is gonna be fine. And it's like. Never from the beginning did Ursula Grin actually think anything was going to be fine. It's no, just, no. Yeah, so it has that and it to- the, the world totally buys into it, but at the same time critiques it constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is quite yeah. cool. Yeah, it's like, it's like everyone's... Also, is Aaron and Ged actually helping them? Are they actually doing anything that's going to help the world? It's, it's, it is, yeah, it's weird because it's like, it's almost like they, yeah. they need that hope to kind of like continue on but it's not it it's not actually going to do anything i mean at the i think the the end of the fourth book where they're sitting down and they're like let's just farm goats and eat turnips for the rest of our time it's just like they've stopped believing in magic mm. basically and then mm. and that's made things better they're, they're it's like a mindfulness exercise they're now living for the little things in the moments there's sunsets and the sounds of goats wandering around on the hills and hanging out with each other making sweet love in front of the fire there's none of this i know more words than you you know <laughs> and it's it's much more peaceful so you know i feel like maybe that's what she was going for is stop comparing the size of your penises and farms and goats <laughs> Because he does say to Aaron at some point, like, spells should be used sparingly. It's, like, only when it's absolutely necessary. And I think it's, maybe it's because of the overuse of magic, really, like, snapping your fingers and having instant gratification. And that's why society is messed up. But if you actually do a little hard work and it's out of your own blood, sweat, and tears and you create your own, you cultivate your own happiness. Yeah, you'll appreciate it more. In fact, in book one... That's the first thing that Ged learns mm-hmm. is when he's with Ogion, he's like his, um, you know, he's like a wandering tramp wizard who just like hangs out with Love goats. Odia. And he's like, you can stay, they call him the silent one because he just, mm-hmm. he just, he just gets on with things. He knows he's so powerful, mad when he, he left him. Does, you know. Yeah, but the thing, but that's the thing, he gives him the choice. He says, you can go off and be fancy schmance wizard or you can stay with me. And you can do magic how it's really supposed to be. And he's like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Bye. And then he goes off to, you know, like Hogwarts, but not quite Hogwarts. And then at the end, he ends up, they basically live in Ogion's old house. Mm-hmm. So he's he's living the life that he refused 
but he's gone on the journey in between and learned stuff. But it basically is saying, you knew this right at the start. You just didn't do it. He, he goes That's in crazy. a circle yeah. to find himself. Well, all the all the wisdom that we have in all our stories, we just have to learn it over and over again because um, humans are a bit shit yeah. at learning stuff. Um, I was going to say something. Yeah, and like this this world that they live in is full of kind of idiots, but um, especially in the last book, as you said, like idiots with a lot of humanity and a lot of sympathy, and it's. And they all want to have weather wizards on their ships to make sure they can do whatever the fuck they want. Um, yeah. But the wizards are like, oh, you shouldn't use magic. And there's just like a lot of inherent contradictions, which I think is intentional. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm remembering all of this entirely right. I'm just like... No, I think that's true, yeah. though. Sort yeah. of like don't use magic but use magic and use magic. don't use magic yeah, yeah. Like, it's kind like, of back and forth because like him saying magic. the world is corrupted like oh why why doesn't anyone want to use magic anymore and like you know you see the the really the silk makers and how upset they are because they can't make the silk yeah. because they don't have the magic anymore and how society is crumbling and they're all drug addicts because there's no magic but also it's kind of yeah. magic is the thing that's destroying them so it's yeah, it's both the reason why it's working and not working. Yeah, because when you when you get to book four and you realize that they don't use magic much at all, really. In fact, mm. the only magic they do use is like the there's a witch in book four who does like herb magic and like very close to the earth kind of you know useful practical magic, and she's you know she's she improves things massively, but it's not on that grand showy offy scale. It's on a much more human scale, her magic mm-hmm. is. And I think, yeah, it's it's the it's kind of like that that fancy schmance magic really isn't worth anything. In the first book, like they they use illusions quite a lot and they are quite like, I can I can turn into this, I can turn into that. But you never really yeah. see them do anything, you know, like that's gonna make it better for everyone. It's more like yeah. these victorious quest type things that they can then t- be told tales. Ah, yes, remember the time I went down to here and made this lovely thing here. And it's, it's, it makes legends of them, but mm. it doesn't really benefit that, you know, like it's not moving them into this utopia. That, I think only bit of magic that is like that is right at the beginning when Ged saves his yes. village from those soldiers who Which try is and destroy them. Cool, man, because it's not even like, it's not like he's, he just makes it foggy. It's not like he's picking, picking up or making heads explode or anything. Mm-hmm. He's like just using nature to, to give them the edge. And they're still doing the bulk of the work. It's a lovely scene. It's very cinematic, that first scene. You can really feel like you're there lurking in the shadows and you can just hear people going, oh, my God. In some it it would have been somewhere. another story. Um, but yeah, then, yeah, It would have been quite interesting if there's more magic like that, like helping save and aid other people but there didn't ever it's seem to be that's what a bit more superhero action in there yeah exactly. um well there's the there's the one thing when, when he turns in himself into a hawk and then gets stuck yeah i like yeah you d- I, I like that kind of um that yeah yeah 
that you know you get stuck that way don't you yeah know, you stay in that ex- yeah expression too long <laughs> yeah you lose yourself yeah and yeah, the wind changes <laughs> or your zoom and- freezes yeah exactly you're gonna be stuck that way lauren if your zoom freezes i yeah and i think i i end up having this problem with the film as well the idea that the fear of death constantly and the way it takes over society in the story doesn't really make sense for me it's like the i the concept of death is there and has <laughs> existed for millions of years it's sort of why you're suddenly scared about this and why are you destroying the entire world because you want to be immortal doesn't that defeat the purpose of living forever yeah i mean not a lot in the film makes sense to be fair yes. um but that but. i i felt like liquid could have delved a little more into explaining the motivations of Cobb at the end and the idea like i can understand if it's just immortality but immortality for the sake of like turning everyone else into like zombies because they're scared of death they are taking drugs to live forever but not really um, the last thing I heard you say was uh, when I think about the film and then I lost you. Oh, it's just that I think for me, both the endings of the film and the book, the, the whole conversation of life and death and the sort of overbearing fear of death and yeah. what, which is what drove Cobb to his you know, quest of immortality, yeah. but at the sake of turning everyone to, into zombies, but yeah. everyone also is scared of death and that's why they become drug addicts. Mm. Felt a little bit convoluted. Yeah. I felt like it could have been a little simpler. Like evil guy wants to live forever, wants zombie slaves, <laughs> that turns everyone into, you know, mindless mush and not, cause I think, it wasn't really clear the thread and the argument about. Yeah, it do, it does feel like it. It you know it's kind of feels like a rush ending. Like oh, it was about the fear of death all along, but because all of the um, to me the whole thing was about balance mm-hmm. between you know people mm-hmm. having power but not using it too much and and you know like being a part of the world rather than trying to control the world. Which I think it, you know, comes down hard on book four, mm-hmm. as that's what we're about. No one's good, no one's evil, everyone's a little bit of both. But yeah, so that's it. Did throw me book end of book three with just like it was an evil dude. He just yeah. didn't want to die. Was a bit like, oh, where did that come from? Yeah, I love, I love it. Sorry, Jenny. And it's a little bit of a rehash of the end of book one. It is it is running away, running away, running away? Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of having to be confronted with our you know running away at the end yeah i like i think at the heart of the first three books is a i love the world i love the fact that you you know the naming thing and the, the magic thing is i think it's lovely because it is it's super clever and i like you know the whole um you know trying to find out the name and then when you find out the name you know you could, there's so much potential but it's all to do with learning and curiosity and also connecting to something enough to learn its name Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of like seems to lose its way for me. And that it doesn't seem to be based on that kind of magic in the end. It's, yeah, it's a, just a story about a man who's a bit grumpy and um, finds out that he's, you know, he's got depression, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but then kind of isn't all right with it either. 
and mm. yeah and like I say with that lack of vulnerability for me means that I don't like him either so I love the world mm. really do I think it's lovely the islands the mistiness the boat journeys the dragons mm. hanging around I'd totally yeah. go there on holiday all the different the people islands. that she describes living on different everyone is unique who lives yep. on a different island yeah and the, the cities are fascinating but I don't like the characters I wish I did but um, I don't feel like she cares about them enough. And then when you meet uh, like ten out, it's like, yeah. oh, okay, then As an adult, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, it's interesting, but I think at the same time, you know, it is it's a fascinating enough world that I I felt like curious enough to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I did feel like that ending was a bit slapdash in book one and three. I was like, yeah. oh, all right then. Like she's like, oh, I'm so bored of this now. <laughs> Can I go? Why do you think? Because for me, it's a little bit meh. I didn't totally connect with it just reading the trilogy. Why do you think when it came out, it was such a hit? What about it makes it so special and so eternal as a fantasy series? I mean, there was nothing like it. Really. It, you know, it's, like, it's like Lord of the Rings, but like a bit more hippie-ish a bit more of the time maybe like in the 60s being all about nature and harmony and balance and yeah exactly peace and love man also like everyone loves a wizard school yeah that's very apparent people love like being an ordinary person and then learning that you can do special things is like that's that's how most successful things work isn't it x-men and everything else so yeah. like they definitely had that hook i mean there wasn't really anything like that around at the time she mm-hmm. was definitely a pioneer so and also she wrote it for for boys and yeah. it is very much like oh you know young boy who just has goats finds out that he can do magic that's like a hook that's a hell of a hook <laughs> so you know i mean and later on other books came along that probably did it better sorry ashla but um, but you know she was like fi- finding her feet in it, but it was yeah. it's still a damn good story idea, and it was mm-hmm. the world was amazing. I I definitely go on holiday to Ursie. I just want to go and hang out with the raft people. That's like no, I would take a little <laughs> holiday, just wear my swimsuit, well, hang out on those rafts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, and I, I forgot about it. In the, it's the first book when we go to Vetch's family farm and meet yeah. his sister who's so cool do we ever get her again did she ever come back his sister um does she they mention her briefly in book four i think she's doing all right because i was standing for a little romance between her and ged that oh, yeah cool. i like i think they do mention her in book four i can't remember exactly what happens but she's she got married someone else sorry to break you <laughs> yeah but she's doing all right she's got kids yeah, no, I thought she was. It was all those little side characters, and they're yeah. Funny well, adventures. he tells he tells her his true name. He's like, yeah. "Hey, girl, exactly." They should have done it on. I could have seen <laughs> that. But he was waiting. In fact, in book four, when um when it says that you know, like he has, do sex, not tell me he was a forty year old virgin. He I was. Do not. He believe like, you. <laughs> it, honestly, they kind of imply now you now you know now you don't have power anymore. You can you can. Use your other power, your power to make sweet love. Will it be like celibate? I can't even remember. 
Yeah, they, they imply it. They heavily yeah. imply that I suppose they're rogue with no women, so... Yeah, he was not making the two bad boys with anyone love. until he'd made it with her. What about her, know. then? She, she, she's, she's got, got two kids. kids. She's oh, got yeah, two so kids. She, she, she was the experienced yeah. one. Her daughter's called Apple, by the way. That's a good name. Yeah. Is that where Gwyneth Paltrow got her child's name? I did wonder. I <laughs> <laughs> but maybe... I mean, that would be too cool for Gwyneth Paltrow, I can't imagine. <laughs> but yeah, so he was a 40-year-old virgin. A bit older. Yeah, 60-year-old <laughs> virgin. I don't believe that he... <laughs> I mean, it is a little creepy, like a school with only young boys and old men. It really, it really is. And they're all just like showing off for it. Honestly, it's bizarre. Yeah, and then, and then the one kind of like woman who turns up, she's like sexy princess, and everyone's like, I do the best magic. No, I do. Accidentally calls up a dead, you know, like spirit of death to try and impress a lady is very uncomfortable. The whole there thing. is a story, isn't there? There's an Earthsea story about a, a lady wizard. Is it in Tales from Earthsea? Is it? So those were all much later, weren't they? Mm. So I think yeah, after she yeah. wrote because. There's nine, nine short stories. Yeah. Yeah, so she wrote, Tehani was 1990, and then all the short stories and stuff, I think, maybe were after. And then The Other Wind, which I haven't read, was 2001. Yeah, so they were all from the 90s onward were the stories she wrote. Trying to repair the book. Yeah. I think. They're good. I I did enjoy reading um, the Tales from Essie stories. I think there's some... Because it's such a big world, and I think um, you you may be already going to say this, Nora, but like I think she said to Ghibli when they had the rights to the film, like make a story from in between these books because yeah. the, the scope is there. You can do anything in this world. That's why, like she said, the ten to ten to fifteen years between book one and two would be perfect because mm. yeah. you know no one knows what happened. They can go wild. <laughs> they were like, wild. I would think that's like a director's dream because every. Yeah author I know who's like had books uh, films made of their work they usually because they you usually an author doesn't have a lot to do with the process so a lot of times the directors and screenplay writers like very open-ended books where they can kind of add their own creative spin to it yeah. so yeah that yeah. would be appealing in theory make a good but a good film because yeah. it is like, like, like you say, Jenny, it's a fascinating world. You mm. like to be given the permission to play around in that world is would be super exciting. So, should we talk about playing around <laughs> in the world? It in would the be film? super exciting. <laughs> so, there also was, which I didn't realize, there was a BBC radio dramatization, and there also was a sci-fi channel miniseries, which I've never seen. Oh, I did not know that. Which was in 2003, and it was a three-hour-long TV adaptation of the first two books. Apparently it's terrible. Yeah, I can't. I'm super confused as to why these epic books are always squashed into one thing. It looks awful, just looking like, at the photos. Just oh, Danny Glover's in it, you know. <laughs> but, but the leads are white uh, in the TV adaptation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh, so that's, we'll talk um, about that, because that's a little bit of a point of contention. So the, the film, which Studio Ghibli adapted, was released July 29th, 2006. 
and it was directed by first-time director Goro Miyazaki, the son of Hayao Miyazaki. Uh-huh. And he wrote the screenplay with uh, Kiko Niwa, and the concept was originally by Hayao Miyazaki because originally the rights were given be- on the premise that Hayao Miyazaki was going to direct the film. Yeah, she said, I'm all right because it's... I like Hayao. <laughs> yeah, she did. Well, because first of all, she said, no, I don't want to do one because I don't know who, who are you. And then she saw, did she see Totoro? Totoro was the one. And she was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. All right then. And then he was like, yeah, but I'm retiring. Sorry. Well, which I think was kind of a lie because it was actually because he was busy doing Howl's Moving Castle. Like every time he's retired, it's been a lie. Like, yeah, he was a little bit of a white lie to her. And pretty much like a kid putting his hands over his face and going, can't see me now. Like he, yeah, and then he's like, I'm here really. <laughs> so the movie was based on a combination of plots and characters. So it takes uh, Wizard of Earthsea, The Farther Shore, and uh, Tenho, and also it's influenced by a graphic novel that Hayao Miyazaki did called The Journey of Shana, which is a Tibetan tale, which I can't find anywhere. It looks really cool though. It was a one off graphic novel he did. Uh... And it's very influenced by Nausicaa, which you get those vibes. I'm going to read out a little bit about uh, his concept about the film, sort of Goro Miyazaki, when he was writing it, because he was introduced to the book when he was in high school. And so he says that the story of the inner growth of a boy who couldn't control his own magical powers resonated with me. As a high school student myself, I projected myself onto the protagonist, Ged. Ged is depicted as an ambitious and brave boy through both talent and effort he acquires magical powers, gaining fame and social status. He is motivated by an overwhelming drive to escape from the monotony of everyday life and nurtures a strong uh, antagonism to rivals and anyone else who gets in the way of his ambition. At the time, I was able to simply overlay the boy Ged onto myself. This was not a question of loving or hating, but the feeling that I myself was Ged. My high school student age in the era of the early 80s produced that reality, I guess. Ged in the story learns the importance of the balance and how how to balance the light and darkness inside himself, the bright parts and dark parts of his soul. Interesting. And I can respect, like... Clearly, Goro was a awkward high school yeah. boy and really found a kinder spirit in Ged and how he was able to create this social status for himself and being very well respected. Yeah. I mean, it's really sweet. He talks about him like, I, I never saw him like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> like brave. I, and, you know, I, like he, he was so whiny to me and just like <laughs> self-involved. And then like to see it, but it's... Obviously, we're seeing it from our point of view, female. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, I, I mean, you can see earlier on you said, why do you think it was so successful? That's why it was so successful. Yeah. Like the prototypical fantasy fan, right? Boys. <laughs> yeah. It was because of the Goros of the world. Yeah, who were absolutely. awkward boys and needed to find a character to help them get through that phase in their life. But that's life. so interesting because, it, like, that character was written by a woman. Mm-hmm who clearly just like could read what those kind of boys, I mean, that's what they asked there to do, right? Exactly what they asked there to do was write a book for, you know, adventure wanting boys. And that's exactly, she, she ticked the box, didn't she? 
but the, the rest of us felt very uncomfortable with it. <laughs> she she did definitely do it, and it I, that it has actually surprised me to hear that because I really didn't see those qualities in him. Yeah, but all. it is you have to, and then I think doing all these projects, obviously, the film is you know good based on our own perception yeah. of watching yeah, yeah, yeah. it, but then being able to have a little insight of what the vision of the. Yeah person who's adapting it kind of makes a difference in yeah. how I view it so it's like oh I can see where you were trying to go whether or not you were successful is a different story but uh, it, I mean it very much like shows as well that if he saw the character in that certain way that you know like he held him in a very precious way but maybe that's not how he comes across like in general mm-hmm. it was just that space that he was in at that time and maybe, I mean, it does feel like, I don't know if that's how Ged comes across in the film. Really. Not really. <laughs> yeah. Is it? No. Does he seem boring? Even... Yeah. I mean, you don't, I don't feel, I don't feel like the, that sweetness of connection that comes across in what you've just read yeah. comes out in the film in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, it was a very tense production, the, yeah. this film, in reading about it and his relationship with his father, which I think is slightly reflected in the film. <laughs> Absolutely. I, it's, it, I, I think um, the fact that, like, Le Guin definitely thought that it was going to be, you know, Hayao Miyazaki and was just like, oh, it's, this is going to be really good because look at the other stuff he's done. It, I mean, she was disappointed, apparently. Oh. To quote her, these are sort of reading sort of what she said about it. So in general, she says, very few authors have any control over the use made of their books by a film studio. The general rule is that once the contract is signed, the author of the books is non-existent. Mr. Hayo wished to retire from filmmaking and that the family in the studio wanted Mr. Hayo's son, Goro, who had never made a film at all, to make this one. Many corners were cut, however, in the animation of this quickly made film. It does not have the delicate accuracy of Totoro or the powerful and splendid richness of detail of Spirited Away. The imagery is effective, but often conventional. This may be because I kept trying to find and follow the story of my books while watching an entirely different story. Yeah. Confusingly enacted by people with the same names as my story, but with entirely different temperaments, histories, and destinies. She also goes on to talk about because when they she watched the film, she was with Goro Miyazaki, yeah. and he asked her if she liked the movie, and she said, "Yes, it is not my book; it is your movie. It is a good movie." <laughs> it's the shade, <laughs> <laughs> which he was quite upset about, actually. Yeah. Also, she makes comment about the fact that, you know, there was the miniseries and then also this film where she very specifically, you know, makes a note about the skin color of the characters. And he and this is something that I would not be able to understand that she because he says to her that the issue is very different in Japan because all the characters have very, very different shades of Caucasian skin color. And for a Japanese person that looks that color range looks different for a european eye okay because you know for someone in japan what would be someone who's black does not exist it would be someone who's from china or mongolia or right. those different there asian are countries black people in japan. <laughs> yes there are but to 
I guess he's trying to reflect it as a sort of more Japanese aesthetic. So I can't, I wouldn't know how to get into that argument about. I mean, because they they set it in their world, basically, didn't they? So, but like you say, there are, there are black people in Japan. Maybe not as many. Yeah. In Ursula Le Guin's world. Because it um, is made up. Yeah. (laughs) So she does point out that she was, she wasn't as upset about it because she did appreciate the fact that every character has a different shade yeah, skin color. In, in, yeah. Because you do notice that uh, Cobb is probably the palest character of all of them. Yeah. Versus, I think, Get is tanner, I suppose. Is it? I mean, she's very kind of cautious i think about her opinion about it like you she clearly doesn't love it she's like okay it's his film it's a decent film but it's not my books yeah i mean she she was super excited when she thought it was gonna be the dad yeah because she loves his work and there's a an element of like oh the other like the Hayao miyazaki films are beautiful like in detail and settings and all that kind of stuff so you can see why she would be disappointed mm-hmm. um, and also the fact that it was his first film yeah that's that made her nervous i think was the phrase they used mm-hmm. which is totally understandable that's her like she's spent how many years making that decade building it and then it's handed over to someone who has, has never done a film before so every right to feel a little bit uh about it um, but yeah, I, I definitely, there's a tone. It's a, so it's a blog post that she wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, uh, first response to um, the film made by Goro Miyazaki for Studio Ghibli, written for my fans in Japan who are writing to me about the movie and for fans elsewhere who might be curious about it. So she's, she's written it because people asked so many questions and they were curious. So I, maybe she wouldn't have said anything if, it hadn't, if there hadn't been such an outcry. She would have just gone, it's a nice film. Well done. But it's not my film. But it was but, popular in Japan, right? It, it yeah, yeah, yeah. made a lot of money. It's okay. It didn't do as well as if it was a Hayao Miyazaki film. <laughs> but it obviously, like a lot of people talked about it and asked, you know, were like, oh, it's not quite the same. Otherwise, she wouldn't have written that blog post, I think. Yeah. I mean, how as both creators in your own rights how do you generally feel like once your creation's out there and if someone else wants to do something with it and it's sort of out of your control <laughs> how do you think you would be able to emotionally distance yourself from it it would depend very much on the size of the check yeah <laughs> <laughs> how much do you think Hayo paid Ursula <laughs> like, so, like for me this is a weird one because I've got um two books of knitting patterns in the world mm-hmm. and the introduction to both of them suggests that my patterns are a base for people to tell whatever stories they want by adapting them so I actively encourage people to mess with my stuff and tell their own stories mm-hmm. So and I've seen like people do amazing things with them that I never would have. I think if I'd like if I'd stuck to oh this has to be a certain way, then you know like I would be highly uncomfortable. But I I literally put myself in the position of of making people, of saying to people go crazy. Yeah. Um, but then you know like she's spent a lot of time crafting that world, like that's that's years in the making. And that's like, that's like giving your baby to someone. 
it isn't it isn't out of um character for a ghibli film to depart quite a lot from its source material though is it well i i mean i guess not but at the same time this is just the fact that it takes essentially takes four books and squashes it it's two hours isn't it it takes yeah. four books and then and an entire world that she spent what so we're going 1968 mm-hmm. to well, well to 1990 if we i mean she was writing up until because it came out in 2006 so she yeah. had been doing short stories around that time as well so she'd yeah. been doing it since the 70s writing this universe it's it's a strange way of of making it's such a big world to get into two hours Mm -hmm. that you do just kind of feel like how on earth that's always going to go badly isn't it yeah like what 70 years worth of (laughs) 70 30 years worth of uh of books into a two-hour film like that's i mean it's a lot of pages yeah to try and fit Nora, in. Nora, did you say that the, the story concept was by Hayao Miyazaki? He originally, because I forget how long it was in between, he negotiated the rights with her yeah. and approached her. Yeah, they and, went to her house and hung out with yeah. her. And it was him who originally started the project and then he kind of got busy with other things and forgot about it and then Goro was the one who kind of picked up the mantle of it. But yeah, you don't you kind of implied before that it, he came up with like the original story structure, but do we not know? Yes, we don't know the detail. Well, also the, they talk about that it's like partially references something that he worked on previously, which is unavailable in English, unfortunately. So I'm not sure how closely that ties in. Yeah, you just kind of wonder about the decision-making process to, to cram so much into this film. I mean, it says in the in the blog post, it says we um, work on the film went extremely rapidly after they like kind of like signed ten it months, and then That's it says we realized very short. We realized in that Mr. Hayo was taking no part in making the film at all, so he was zero. My cat's standing on my iPad right now. Okay, <laughs> so okay. he had, he had zero to do with it completely. Yeah. And I think, I think when, yeah, she was like, oh my god, oh. yeah. And then the one of the first things we see in the film is um, Aaron killing his own dad. Oh yeah. yes. Okay. Well, let's start talking about the movie. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Ooh, where did that come from?" Uh, I think Gugoro was maybe a little bit pissed off at Hayo. <laughs> uh, so we open onto the the sea, and we're in this boat, and you see this man who says that he can't remember the spell to calm the storm which is in reference to the weather crafters i think they're called in the book yeah i think at first like even with the opening scene i don't i'm not vibing with the character aesthetic in yeah. the sort of the costuming of them it seems a little bit it odd. doesn't feel like a ghibli film can i say that it, it yeah. does though like it but it's just kind of like it's cherry picking from different films and mashing them up together like the the horse that's not a horse looks the same as the horse that's not a horse in Princess Mononoke. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And think, then yeah. the the way the villain with the sludge is very much uh, mm-hmm. from Howl. But it, but it doesn't to me. It doesn't have those little details. Is some it has some epic like you know like backdrops and like you say it's got the cutesy little whatever mm-hmm. it is horse antelope type thing. But it it just doesn't have that 
it doesn't feel as as nuanced. A little I mean, deeper. there's some bits that I, I do enjoy, and I think the latter half of the film is a stronger Ghibli yeah. film, but the beginning yeah. is just very weak. There are some scenes that are just like, oh, this is so, so Ghibli, but then after, uh, there's so much of it that isn't. Mm-hmm. Like the skies are really different. There's all that watercolour clouds all the yeah. time, which yeah. I really like, actually. Yeah. And the backdrops are great. Beautiful to look yeah. at, but it, it definitely feels like an an anime film rather than a Ghibli film. To, to yeah. me. Well, that's a that's a a um, nuanced distinction to make. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. Uh, so, <laughs> a lot of running around, screaming and waving swords and stuff. Yeah, and that's yeah. Not very. Even in like um, Princess Mononoke, it's not that violent. There's a lot it's of very violent in Princess Mononoke. Oh, yeah, and I think Nausicaa as well gets quite violent. Yeah, kind of violence though. It just seems a little bit more like connected to nature and all that kind of stuff. Whereas this yeah. is is just more shouty, in your face, manly, manly fighty violence. And I well, yeah, characters are a lot more nuanced in yeah 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 yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, again, but then you know. We all said that we didn't feel that the characters in the books were fair. <laughs> I know, exactly. So we're going to have much of a leg to stand on. <laughs> so we get to see the dragons fighting, which is in reference to... Is it the last book where we see the, even yeah, see the dragons third. kill each other? The third? Oh, no, it's, no, it's the first book because it's when he's on the island uh, protecting that village. Yeah. And... I mean, I don't have much. The design of their dragons is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Although sometimes they look like they have legs and sometimes they don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's they, true. Because it's just a one know. long spine. But also, we're not really told what that's got to do with the price of fish. Why, why, and that never comes up later on. It's like, ah, oh, and that's why the dragons are, are feeling unrest. It's like, hey, dragon fight. And then other stuff happens. So it's like a nice kind of like, ooh, and then you're like, oh, not not especially connected to much else. I mean, it's implied that that's the world is like going crazy and here's some proof. Yeah. But um, yeah, you'd look at it and you'd think, well, this is going to be all about dragons then, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then they don't actually appear until right at the end. Yeah, there's not much of a smooth transition to show the chaos that's happening at the moment. Yeah. We we enter into the town and I do love the design. It's beautiful. They yes. like, the, that town is yeah, that's one of the moments when you're like, ooh, Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we go into some sort of like citadel and there's this meeting of the white robed elders and there's Wizard Root, which is a character from the book. Yeah. Uh, and the king hears about what happened with the dragons and they discuss Prince Aaron, who we are told he's 17. Yeah. And then it's the nighttime and Prince Aaron <laughs> comes and stabs his father. <laughs> As you do. And it is, it is out of nowhere. There's also a scene where there's like a woman briefly uh, in between the... Oh yeah, his mother. I think yeah. it's meant to be sort of I, I his mother. Is they don't really. Is it his mum? She feels like a stepmom. She feels like an evil stepmom to me. Yeah, because P- I think it's the maid say that Aaron seems to be sad and yeah. depressed, and the king kind of ignores it. And this really feels like it's meant to represent Hayao Miyazaki and Goro's <laughs> relationship. 
Well, I, I mean, yeah, it's definite. And also it's not, it's not in the books, is it? No. And I think it messes up for the film for me. I think if they didn't have that, it could have been better. They don't explain it. And then at the end, oh no, I probably shouldn't talk about the end. But okay. like they talk We're going to spoil it anyway. Yeah. How Aaron is like, oh, he's really troubled. And it's like, apart from that bit where he killed his dad, the rest of the time he's pretty much just a very well-behaved child. But mm-hmm. why did he kill his dad? Like, they don't <laughs> never address it. It's just like there's a little bit of dad stabbing and then he takes the sword and you're like, well, the, well, you know, he's either, I was in my head, I was like, he's either, he's maybe he's possessed by something mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe his dad's possessed by something. They never explain it. <laughs> it's, it's just like, just a, it's just a bit of dad murder just to start you off. And then, yeah, they don't return to it. And because it didn't happen in the books, I'm just like, he just wanted to kill his dad in a film. <laughs> he wanted to be king. <laughs> it's bizarre. Utterly bizarre. Who's laughing? There was a. Oh, a sorry. That, that's that's Alex. I'll shut the door. No, that's no, okay. Is he laughing at us? <laughs> no, he, he's playing computer games with his. <laughs> um, I when this moment happened, which I forgot about, I think I probably blocked it out. <laughs> I, I do think the thought was probably meant to be that he's been possessed by Cobb and that was part of yeah. that action. But I just think he wasn't possessed enough for it to make sense. They didn't explain it. They just, they never revisit it. So it's never yeah. explained. So you're just like, they could have done without it. Mm-hmm. They could have just had him leave. Yeah. It's a, he and just it's- ran away. He was kind of pissed off as his dad. So he left yeah. and that would have made more sense. You, it just made just, The sword is not used in a way that makes sense either no, like, and they don't explain like there's the whole thing of he's not he's not able to draw the swords and unless it's you know going to be used for like some great purpose mm-hmm. or whatever but actually they never established that at the start either so yeah. you are just like and then they kind of like towards the end they're like oh by the way you can only draw the sword la 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 it's it's all very slapdash really yeah. um it's just confusing as hell so we move on to see Ged for the first time. Which he's called Sparrowhawk mostly throughout the film, yes. and he's he's sailing on the look of look afar, right? Look far, look far, yeah. With his eye, I, so I had a little bit of like a yay in my yeah. tummy when I saw that. I was like, there it is. It was a nice design, I think, of the boat. Yeah, and they are, I have to say, they're all her characters. Mm-hmm. They are her characters. You know, they've all got the qualities that they have in the books. But they're just not doing the same stuff. Yeah. Which is quite bizarre. We see Aaron on the run and for some reason on his little llama thing. (laughs) And the wolves are chasing him through the desert. Why? I don't know. Why not? And he he falls (laughs) off and he he essentially is like, I guess I'll be eaten alive by wolves. It's my punishment for what I've done. It does feel a little bit like because I because I know it was his first film. It feels a little bit like um, like an eight year old boy again. Wouldn't it be cool if right? <laughs> you know, when, when kids tell stories, they're like, and then right, and then right, yeah. he's been attacked by wolves, and then right, he kills his dad, and then right, you know, it's like there's no. It's just like it's like that a little more fun. Yeah, exactly. Like, wouldn't it be cool if? But yeah. there's no. It doesn't feel very grown up. It doesn't feel very. Um, like it's part of a world. It's just these little flashes of exciting things that might happen to a kid. 
Maybe those yeah. things, these are the bits that come from the manga that we can't read. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. True. Uh, Ged manages to save him by scaring off the wolves and, you know, arrives just in the nick of time. And he sort of harangues Aaron to come hang out with him at the campfire. And there's a little bit of like the meaning of names and the power of names. And yeah. he, Aaron means sword, he says. And Aaron is coming off a little bit paranoid, mad kid. <laughs> Ged is definitely getting the vibe that this kid is a little troubled. I need to keep an eye on him. But there's, and, again, there's no yeah. real establishing of why they're... It's not like in the books where you, you're very well aware of why they're going off on their little double act. In this, it's just like, oh, you might as well come with me then. All right. Like, mm-hmm. wh- where was he going in the first place? Well... Uh, I think Aaron was just running away because he knew he was yeah. in trouble. Ged, well, Ged is saying that he speculates that, you know, there's all these ruins everywhere and that it's a sign of bad things happening. And essentially, he's sort of going to investigate and see if he can find the source of yeah. it. And he's like, you might as well come with me. Because mm-hmm. is... they they're walking and they end up in Hort Town, but I notice—I don't know if you notice—like it's not islands; it's just one bit of yeah. land. Yeah. They're mm. never having the, It's just like the desert to the forest to the city. There's never any. The yeah. boating bit was part of the whole thing of Earthsea. It's uh, called Earthsea. That's literally why I want to go on a magical mystery tour of Earthsea because I want to mm-hmm. island hop. Yeah. This is just Earth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> without C is just. Uh. <laughs> you can see the sea, so uh, yeah, yeah, but but yeah. not from the sea. <laughs> so Aaron notices the slaves when they're in the city, and this is another thing I think with uh, Ursula as well. They never really do anything about it. Do slaves exist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the most part and it's never really addressed i don't know if they do in the fourth book once aaron is king if they've not abolished slavery really, not really but like there is so like um there's a moment isn't there where like they talk about the fact that the wizards could free all the slaves but they don't and they don't because he says well i, I unchained them they can sort themselves out it's it's all <laughs> it's very weird that also happens in the book Okay. Yeah. No, I, re- I do remember that. Yeah. I, I found it odd because I'm like, uh, maybe you should just abolish slavery. And <laughs> um, you can read Four Ways to Forgiveness if you want to get some Le Guin slavery. Oh. Uh, oh does she, does she later on, does she fix it in another book? In, a, in another universe, yes. <laughs> <She's>... <laughs> and it is very much not an easy fix. <laughs> Okay. I'm now wondering if very I, very good for ways of forgiveness. I really recommend that one. I haven't read any of her other books. I've just what? literally read. I know, I know, yeah. I know. I'm di- now I'm just like because I had to read. I felt a bit disheartened by the fact I had to read Ursi again because I already read it twice. Yeah, <laughs> it's that I I've watched a documentary, a BBC documentary about her, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend you hunting down. No idea what it's called. Very sorry. <laughs> If you just type in BBC documentary yeah. about Ursula Le Guin, you'll find it. Yeah, and um, it talked about her and you know, like how her journey with writing and stuff like that. And it talked about her other books. And I was after I watched it, I was like, because I've always thought she was amazing anyway. Because any like woman 
like kind of writing in sci-fi and making a big deal is a big thing because it's quite a man's world in a lot of ways but I, I really wanted to read all of her other stuff yet here I was dragging my way through FC again um, but I, I get the I'm now getting the impression that I suspect that all of the books after that she wrote were trying to fix mistakes that she made when she wrote FC <laughs> well I would be interested in your perspective if you read her more hard sci-fi rather than I'm totally kidding you. I mean, in the fantasy camp. Sci-fi-y sci-fi, it's just um, the sci-fi is all just the excuse for messing around with weird different cultures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like she, she I, I've read what some of the other books are about. She definitely dove into some like, whoa, you're talking about this now. And, you know, she really sh- shook things up and that's not how she comes across in those first three books. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of fascinated. I'm going to read them all and be like, ah, because now obviously I know Ursie like the back of my hand now. Yeah, three times. Um, and it's not a quick read. No. So they're walking through the market, and they go to the market stall, and it's the same in the third book where you're interacting with this female silk merchant who used yeah, yeah. to be. Yeah, she used to be a wizard, but it's a woman in the film, so she. Yeah, yeah. It is sort of they change it up a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, talking about the silk from Laura Bondi and he buys Aaron a cloak for, it's meant to be from Gaunt and they reference all the different places. Yeah. And a man tries to grab Aaron and he pulls him to an alleyway and he offers him drugs. <laughs> you all right, mate? Want some drugs? First, your first one is and free and then you have to That's the bit it. they use as the trying to make you want to watch this instant play trailer on netflix for some reason yeah really? like, yeah <laughs> all right mate want to buy some drugs and you're like i'm on i'm in i'm on board i want to watch more of this and it's and, got to do with that actually <laughs> yeah well it's essentially like opium really i think is yeah. the concept behind it and ged manages to stop him but aaron sees all the strung at druggies and he do drugs look at what happened <laughs> <laughs> and he uh gets sick and I think through this, get I think he does like a little speech about the, someone's trying to throw off the balance of the world. Yeah, they kind of at that point they kind of establish it's all it's all a bit fucked up in it. I think that's where they find out that magic's kind of properly disappearing, and mm-hmm. it's all a bit of a hash. <laughs> so I thought this was like a little weird transition. So Aaron goes up to he's like run off and he's been sick and he's like washing his face and. A, water feature it just leaves him it's i know like, i was sort of like where did get go like oh if you got my mobile number we'll meet up later on he's just like but yeah bye all right then i do i did like the little shot where you see the wind sort of rushing up behind erin yeah, it's a lovely bit actually and when he's like near the fountain bit as well it's mm. like the city's lovely you want to wander around it it's really nicely done yeah so I did, I want to give kudos where I can in the film and being like, I did like that little bit. And then he sees a girl running from what he thinks are slave traders Mm -hmm. and they call her little witch. And Aaron gets his like possessed face. (laughs) 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 Just like he did when he was stabbing his dad up earlier on. I know. And I get I I think that's him trying to be like there's something wrong with him, something yeah. interfering with him. Even though it's never really established, that is yeah, there's a link. And he manages to fight them off and we meet the girl and 
part of her face is what I is supposed to be that it's burnt and her name is Theru and she runs off because she's like, this crazy guy. No, thank you. And he he goes back to the docks and he gets snatched because he's a moron. (laughs) (laughs) And he manages to lose his sword. And again, I'm like, where's Ged? It's like nighttime now. He's like, but yeah, he's off like, I don't know, doing something wizardy somewhere. And Aaron is hauled away in the, a slave cart. And he does, in the third book, get kidnapped as well. Yeah, and he gets put on a... In the book, he put, he's get puts on a, on a ship. ship. Yeah. And in this, he gets put in a gypsy caravan type thing. Yeah. And uh, a glowing Ged comes to save oh, him. Oh! It's the first time he does magic. It's the first time he does magic in the film, isn't it? Where mm-hmm. you realise that he's a proper wizard. And they do the same thing where they leave the slaves to save themselves. Yeah. And he's like, I undid their things. They can sort themselves out. I, yeah, I do agree. It's strange. And, and Aaron brings it up like he does in the book. He's like, are you not going to sort this out? And he's like, well, that's their problem, really. I find that very strange. Yeah, it's an very odd thing strange. to keep in for the film yeah. as well. It's, he keeps the same self-centered style of gids that we see in the books, doesn't he? He's just like... They can work it out themselves, and then off he goes. On, on. I don't know where they're meant to be going or what their quest is really. I mean, I know they're supposed to be finding the magic, but um, what's going on with the magic? But it's, it's all a bit live and let die. Yeah, I, it's and it also it's just you don't really know exactly where they're heading for, do you? Well, he does make a little nod that when they're with the drug dealer guy, he's like, I think he says the line, and there's only one person. Who could oh, do yeah. this? Okay. Yeah. So he's clearly at this point figured out that yeah. it is Cobb. So he does have some but then they, direction. They don't go and find him. Well, they, they make a pit stop. They, so... they, yeah. <laughs> and because and it's because uh, Aaron's not feeling well. He's yes. like so, to sort him out. They walk to the house of a woman to help heal Aaron, and it's Tenar, who from the second book is the a woman from the tombs that he's rescued and uh we find out that this is when we find out that he's the archmage and they kind of had this little dialogue and he says he's on a mission to find out what's wrong and we meet the young girl who's been living with tenar for the last five years and and she's in the book she's like hideously burned and messed up and in in the film she's just got a little bit of dark face it's not it doesn't even look disfiguring it's just like mm-hmm. she's got a bit of bowie makeup on one side and she's mm-hmm. shy for about five minutes and then not shy for and, the then she's the a, and then she's a grumpy bitch <laughs> <laughs> but also what's interesting is they give so uh tenar's like a witch in it she's doing mm-hmm. potions she's a healing, and healing and stuff, which she isn't doing in the books mm-hmm. but um they've kind of like merged her with there's a witch in the books in the fourth mm-hmm. book so they've yeah. squished them both together. Um, but yeah, everyone's like, oh, she, she'd be a witch, that that lady. Oh, I do quite enjoy the, like, uh, gossip women. Gossip oh, women. yes. They're super cute. <laughs> They're quite <laughs> deadly, aren't they? Yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah, that, that, that sense of humour there was quite, it was definitely quite jubilee. I felt like, hey, there they are, little gigglies. But also, like, she's... You know, they're they're kind of establishing that she's outside of the village. Yeah. She's not part of things. Mm-hmm. 
and she's taking on this strange child. So, and that's that kind of fits with the books as well. Hooray. So we flash to the baddies who and they're in the castle and I was like my note I was like evil person lair (laughs) and we meet Lord Cobb and I have to make a note about the character design of Lord Cobb I found it very gender neutral very 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 feminine yes yeah quite like graceful very fine bone face quite um like makeup as far as I could I would say. Yeah. Um, very flowy, kind of like dressy kind of clothes. Oh, it is. Uh, the voice is a woman in the Japanese yeah, version, which is what I watched. Man the whole time. Yeah, gendered yeah. male. Yeah. I mean, is I... that more of an anime convention in that kind of anime? Yeah. I, I mean, maybe it, it just fits more with like Japanese. Voices Cobb in the English version, oh, actually. If they choose to change it, let me just. Double. So, did we watch it with subtitles? Yeah, I watched it with subtitles. But... One. Yeah, me too. Um, I never watch. See. I never watch Ghibli stuff with uh, with the dubbing. I some yeah. I sometimes watch uh, Princess. Oh, William. William Defoe played Cobb in the English version. Really? Ooh, interesting choice. Who was yeah. that? I missed it. Willem Defoe. Willem Defoe. That makes sense. Yeah, it does actually. I would. That's a good casting. Well yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. And uh, Timothy Dalton plays Ged. <laughs> really? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That actually that works for me as well. Yeah, and then <clears throat> Mariska Haggerty plays Tanar. Um, who else is there? Any other? I think. And those are the only. Oh, Cheech plays Hair. Yeah. Cheech and Talk. Yeah. I feel like, so the reason that I always watch it with subtitles is because when they do it with the dubbing, sometimes they change the story. Which we discovered in Kiki's Delivery Service. Exactly, and they do it in um, Spirited Away as well. Yeah. um, In a few places. So I don't trust the dubbing now. Mm -hmm. But I always feel like it's also closer to, you know, like voice expression and stuff like that is closer to how it's supposed to be. So it, it might be a whole different film if you watch it with the dubbing. But I, I would be interested to do a little research into Japanese culture around yes. the a woman playing yes. a man yeah. and sort of what yeah. that means to the character and the fact that it's sort of this asexual, gender-neutral yeah. design to the yeah. character, which seems very... Western teenagers like to fantasize about Japan being a very queer-friendly culture because of the way it's treated in a lot of anime, but it's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, because there, there is, they play around with gender a lot in anime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, so do yeah. they in Shakespeare? So it's yeah. not. <laughs> and like, in many ways, in many cultures throughout the world, throughout history, doesn't necessarily mean that the society reflects that. No, mm. but, but it's definitely not something that we're used to. Mm. Like with the like British and American cartoons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then we go back to through at the farm, they're eating breakfast and Aaron's working on the farm and he gets some blisters, poor baby. (laughs) And Geta was like, oh, you're working too hard. Let's take a break. I was like, the Geta in the book would not let him take a break. (laughs) (laughs) And 
he has the conversation about how you know you only use spells when they're necessary and the balance the equilibrium of everything and you have a scene where Theru and Aaron are in the barn and she's scared of him and it's definitely alluding to the fact that she can tell that he's possessed yeah. and she because she gets mad at him and I don't know if I totally feel like the transition to, into her anger makes sense because she sort of accuses him of not valuing life and obviously that's alluding yeah. to yeah. him killing his father and he's sort of like oh because she wants him away from the baby but lamb like like Jenny said that they don't really she goes from being shy to suddenly being grumpy and they don't really establish why they have that relationship all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's just like is it just because he's a boy is it because like you say she sees something in him maybe but that's never again it's never really that connection is never really made like how does he win her trust just by still hanging around a bit yeah and how does he lose her trust in the first place mm-hmm. i mean if if you look at the books she obviously doesn't trust men at all because mm-hmm. she's been raped and burned and that completely makes sense but that's not the character in the film is it no I mean, she's been abused, but we find yeah, out by her yeah, parents but, yeah, that but it wouldn't make sense to be yeah. why she's scared of him. But they but that they say her parents, so it's yeah. not, there's no hatred of men, like, seeded there at all. And then all of a sudden she's just like, meh! And it <clears throat> feels a little bit like boys versus girls, you know, like, yeah, girls are horrible, like that kind of thing, but then there's more to it. But, yeah, there's no development of their relationship at all. For it to suddenly explode in that way. We get him sleeping and we get him the first time sort of where he's like projected into this fantasy dream world place. And we see this black tar swallowing him up. And I do really like the background and design of this when he's in the dream world. And we see, is is this where it's himself or it's the wizard talking to him? It's it's his shadow trying to reach out or something? It's a bit confusing. It's a lot confusing, to be honest. Well, kind of taken a bit from the first book and shoved it into this story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's got a, a lot of the feel of that last chasing around your shadow scene. Yeah. And merging, trying to merge with the shadow. Yeah. I mean, that is that storyline from the first yeah. book. They essentially turned Aaron into Ged <laughs> in yeah, from yeah, the first yeah, book. Exactly. But, but it is, if you were coming to it without having read any of the books, which most people would, you would have no idea what's going on there. Yeah. At all. It's uh, like, is he himself? Is was is his shadow a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Uh, yeah, no idea what's going on. Enjoy the weirdness. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a lot of Japanese films, I think, are enjoy the weirdness because we haven't grown up with that culture and it, you know, it's just the logic doesn't quite fit. So I just kind of like put it down to that. But um, that's not how the most Ghibli films. Ghibli Tech, um, Sorry? Which, according to Ghibliotech, <laughs> uh, which is another podcast to listen to. Oh, um, yeah, that's Michael Leader. He yeah. used to shop at Gosh all the time when I was there. That uh, uh, Earthsea is more, more popular in Japan than it is over here, even. It's like on a sort of similar level to Lord of the Rings. Like a, okay. a fair chunk of people would have read it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I guess the same could be said for Lord of the Rings, couldn't it? It's like a a lot of people have read it and then a lot of people haven't and they've still yeah. seen the films so yeah and 
Ged uh, decides to go off on his own. He's like, he, he's essentially like, Aaron is safe here. I'm going to continue my mission. Yeah. Um, and we see the two townspeople you were talking about, which is, I, I do think it's quite funny scene and just showing how biased society is against her and yeah. Theru and Ten- uh, Tenar. Well, they have to make her a witch because uh, so they, yeah. they couldn't make it about race. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They took the race out or partially put the race out. And we have the slave traders thugs that they come to the farm and they attack them because they're looking for Ged and they this I didn't totally love the henchman thing because in in the book and again you don't need to do you know buy the book necessarily but in the book everyone just kind of becomes numb and zombie like there's no one who's actually like out there doing the bidding of Cobb ever but in in the fourth book, there's okay. basically there's people who are they're after the girl, mm-hmm. and they are just like they break into her house, into like Tenar's house, mm-hmm. and um and you know like there's they're basically trying to kidnap her the whole time. So there's yeah. definitely a feeling of that merged in with whatever was going on in books they've just kind of like squashed in the bad stuff to into these guys antagonists yeah exactly so it's they've got more of a target in the fourth book so it's it's like they've tried to put the zombie stuff in with (laughs) with the stuff from the it's a bit confusing Aaron and Tenar, they were to repair the damage and they talk about the House of Rogues. They're sort of alluding to this wizarding yeah. school, which we never get to see, unfortunately. And he, and then she tells him about Ged rescuing her from the tombs of Atum. Yeah. So that's when, if you, I mean, if you haven't read the books, you might be like, okay, you know. Well, that sounds interesting, but yeah. They just, they get it into one chat. The whole of yeah. them too. And Ged has gone back to the city and he's looking for Aaron's sword. But I'm also like, when did he realize he lost it? Did Ged, did te- uh, Aaron tell him about this? Why is he looking for his sword? It's the magic sword. But isn't he supposed to be looking for why magic is disappearing? Daddy, yeah. Why he's side questing? I don't understand. Reasons. <laughs> Yeah, I told I didn't totally get why he had gone back for the sword. I mean, I get as a plot device why it's necessary, but, but they, the motivation uh, for Ged didn't really make sense. Yeah, they didn't. At no point did they did like Ged was like, "Oh, that's a quite an amazing sword. Tell me more about it, young man." It's just all of a sudden important. I feel like we, it feels like there's missing scenes. Yeah, in this whole I, film, there is like one bit when he looks at um, Taro and is like, "Hmm, I wonder." <laughs> yes it. oh yes and oh, i think yeah. that's referenced because that she's magical yeah yeah okay i'll get a feeling about her and that would do <laughs> that would do tick <laughs> yep, that's up <laughs> <laughs> what now what now let's do the sword bit what now, what now? <laughs> now there should have been like some sort of scene where maybe like aaron was like super distraught about lo- losing the sword and get feels bad and he's yeah, like okay i'll go where the, his dad talked about the sword and told him about it or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we, 
No oh. idea why that sword's important. And then, like, the, the sword, the guy who's got the sword randomly is like, can't even get it out of the scabbard, can you? And you're like, oh, that's a new thing about the sword. <laughs> Ugh, I don't know. Anyway. So the soldiers, henchmen, try and grab Ged, and he manages to create a disguise. And this is very standard Ghibli. Yes. Him creating the face. Uh, and we oh, learn about... Yeah. yeah, it's cute. <laughs> and the funny the funny little sword salesman as well yeah and we hear about Cobb how he's the lord of two lands and he's the only wizard who has his powers uh and then from there with the sword he goes and he finds Cobb's fortress and then we see Tenar and Aaron and Theru singing it's like actually really I thought this was a sweet scene like yeah. her singing out and then him sort of oh, to the song that is utterly lovely if I just watched that scene I'd be like this is the best film ever because yeah. it is it's very sweet and it's weird as well because in the um in the fourth book mm-hmm. um Theru meets Aaron but the mm-hmm. age difference is quite big so she's okay. still like a little kid and he's now like you know he's become the king and stuff and they have a really so what happens in the book is that um she's being chased by these evil henchmen of a wizard who's like uh after you know the information about where ged is and one of them touches her arm and it leaves a mark on her because they're Mm. possessed by some demons or another and then when aaron touches her it makes the mark go away so he, they've got a really sweet relationship in the book. He's like her protector, almost, yeah. but he's a grown-up and she's a kid. And yeah. so when they're both kids in in the film, it it just like kind of like you lose that sweetness between them, and that he, you know, like he kind of like makes the world better for her. But there's an element of that when she sings and he's watching, and they sit together yeah. with the sunset in front of them, which is a lovely shot. No. I thought that was really nice. And he confesses about the killing of his father. Yeah. I don't think she says anything to him. And uh, Aaron goes missing the next day because he does say, like, he can't stay here because they're going to come for him. Yeah. And because in the dreams, he gets chased into the ocean by his shadow. Yeah. And we see Cobb's watching him in some, like, magic bowl. <laughs> And also, I'm like, at this point, I'm sort of, if Cobb had, like, corrupted him all the way from the beginning to get him to kill his father, that's, like, one complicated long-term plan. Yeah. But also, you're saying if, because we don't know. No, we're never really explaining And they'll what. never tell us. Yeah, you don't really understand what Ged's fascination with Aaron is. No. Because it no. could, like, if it was sort of, oh, he, it, he needs to get the magic sword from Ged, yeah. that would make sense. Yeah. And the guards come and they snatch Tenar, but they leave Theru to tell um, Cobb what happened. And we, he's, so, wait, oh, Aaron's taken to the fortress. Yeah. And then Cobb manages to get him under control by like making him drink some sludge drink. Yeah. And he gives Cobb his true name. Yeah. Big mistake. 
such a <laughs> dumb kid. I mean, <laughs> Theru manages to escape because she's like bound and she finds Ged. And then at the same time, we're, we're seeing Tenar, she's taken into the dungeon. And again, I'm like, why? What's so special, Aaron? Like, he's just this tool to manipulate Ged. Yeah. And then, and- like, I think at that point, like, Suri then becomes what we all love, which is, yeah. the, you know, like, the the female, like, yeah. hero of the Ghibli yeah. You're like, hooray! And, you know, she's going up and, you know, she's going to sort everything out. It's quite lovely. No, I do think the pace at this point of the film gets better. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're kind of like, on. She she's more likeable, and you're like, okay, this is, you know, things are happening, this is... But he does, he, yeah, Aaron seems quite useless <laughs> at that point. And whereas before he had a bit more about him and there were all these things going on, all of a sudden he's just there as a, like you say, like a, a tool for something or another. Like It doesn't explain it really. And we see that Aaron's been possessed. And possessed. Uh, Theru references like, oh, this is like when I was in the tombs. Ged finally arrives at the castle and I don't really understand the distance between these places in this film. <laughs> yeah. also, Travel does not really make sense. Where's his magic now? Because, yeah. Okay, so he hasn't oh. lost his magic like he did in book three, yeah, the yeah. Before transition, because when he was in the caravan, saving all, or not saving all the slaves, he was doing all of his ha, like, you know, magic. Is it his staff? He needs his staff. I, apparently not but maybe in the films he does i don't know but he's he basically does nothing at the yeah. end of the film and he just stands around watching it going ah ooh. Yeah. but he does bugger all and he we know he's got magic so mm-hmm. i deeply confused like, is it supposed to be i set all this up i i made this happen just by like raising my eyebrows earlier in the film and and now I'm just going to see it all I, play out because I, I, I trust I'm willing to create leadership opportunities for these young people. <laughs> it's like a team building exercise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, I feel like there's a scene missing because it could be that Ged is actually slowly losing his abilities at this point yeah. as well. They, so he they can't... never tell you. I know. Yeah. I think that's in my mind what it's meant to be but yeah. they just forgot to tell me I mean, well I do kind of want to say like it's not that it doesn't make sense that makes this like a less good film than some yeah. of the other Ghibli films that also make no sense and are <laughs> <laughs> like you can't be saying that Spirited Away or Howl's Moving Castle is like an airtight plot <laughs> no no I was pretty, I mean there are there are definite gaps but I think the difference here is that you care about the characters so much in those other films yeah. because they they have their little quirks and they're vulnerable. That to me, that's the main thing in why I love the characters in the other films so much is because they are they're not good, they're not bad. Especially when you look at someone like Howell, who's a perfect example, is yeah. they're just like they're flawed characters. So you you hold them in your heart. I hold none of the. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, SC, the <laughs> film, but um, I didn't care about anyone. It, I mean, I almost cared about Theru for a little while there when she got like a bit Mononoke on you, but she <laughs> doesn't carry through. And also because Ged's wandering around and he's got magic and you don't, why isn't he doing it? It all just feels so disjointed. Yeah, there didn't need to be. I think the, the beginning should have been instead more about 
getting a grasp of the individual characters and yeah. then having yeah. them come to this climax at the yeah. end and where I they confront Cobb. It would have been nice to have a solid reason why Ged can't use his magic. Mm-hmm. And then it, it does feel like, well, it's up to the rest of us now. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just like he's just standing there going, go on, let's see what happens. It is, yeah, quite. So Ged arrives at the castle and Ged and Cobb have it out and they talk about how, you know, Ged left him at the dry lands, which is a reference to the last book, and how Cobb is opening the door between life and death. And I did think it was great, the Ghibli blob bird attack thing that was going on with Cobb. Very cool. Nice. And then, you know, possessed Aaron tries to attack Geb, and then they have this little hug and cry. <laughs> and he got the sword, sword under his arm. That was a good shot. You see, like, you think he stabbed him, but it's actually just under his armpit. <laughs> like, stage direction. Yeah. It's, it's all trickery, that magic. It's all trickery. <laughs> Cobb manages to snag Geb, and he puts him in prison with Tenar downstairs and you're again like that was dumb this guy's supposed to be magical he should yeah. be able to escape yeah and also she's a witch hello combined effort <laughs> you take care of this Theru comes to the rescue yay, yay. <laughs> she's followed Aaron's shadow and the conversation between the two of them about like the light and the dark and the balance and about death I just feel like there's not a real support for the argument about this all-encompassing fear of death and why it would corrupt you so much yeah they just like it's it's just like oh okay we should probably explain a lot now so they just like crap it all into that and it doesn't really explain anything so i think also ursula doesn't explain it either so they can't explain it (laughs) no and then she sees there's a bit where she sees hair and the goons and then she finds Aaron and she gives him the sword and they have this whole discussion and Aaron's like super scared of death but then it's like but you murdered your father so what does that have anything to do with it (laughs) did we forget that earlier on yes yeah Cobb tries to have Tenar and Ged like jump off the castle as a way to die and Aaron comes to save him and he manages to draw out his magic sword. (laughs) Can we we just talk about how much running up and downstairs and not getting out of breath there is in this scene? Yeah, He's 17! He's young! Also, everyone is scaling towers that are like also that it's just they, they have absolutely no fear of falling off anything they're running around like proper parkour and <laughs> it's ne- they've never established that they're those kind of people especially like you know like the uh girl you're like well she's she's never you know you don't see her jumping off the top of barns and stuff on the farm but all of a sudden <laughs> she's just got all of these skills yeah balancing skills and then then we have oh okay so then old so suddenly oh yeah there's the bit where he chops off Cobb's arm which is you know gross and then Cobb gets these he turns old but he gets these like Jinji Ito eyes (laughs) sort of the black hole eyes 
and he manages to slime Theru and yeah Theru and like like jump down the like slime version of Cobb yeah and I thought it was so beautifully done when they're on the top of the castle and yes. this huge like stone plane and then it sort of collapsing in on itself yeah and he's the, mm. yeah he's trying to climb up while he's like he's probably out of breath then i have yeah. to say when he's when aaron's trying to climb up the side and get back on the thing he's definitely struggling yeah and then finally thera reveals the fact that she's magical and she like sends shadow cob back and turns into a dragon yeah, and it's like what yeah. where was this <laughs> yeah, they foreshadowed it remember and he was like hmm <laughs> there's something about you you're a dragon <laughs> I have a feeling that you may be a dragon <laughs> but I'm not going to mention it to you we'll see what happens later on when you're in dire peril like that's uh, the I pretend not to have magic it'll bring them the dragon out of, out. out of the girl that's the motivation the plan. he had a plan then you see uh tenar and ged and then oh she says the lines are they going to be okay and he's like they have wings <laughs> and you see aaron riding dragon theru and then it's the four of them and they are happily ever after. Oh, he says he's like going to go face the music. But there's this little like farming montage scene of them all together. And then he because, goes off. Like, there is a really, really like it's a gif scene where like there's uh, there was a dragon and Aaron and then they have a hug. Yeah. It's really he's like, yeah. he's like, hug me, dragon. <laughs> everyone's dream, right? To make friends with the dragon and then give it its face a hug. Like yeah. it's the sweetest thing. It is. There are some lovely moments, but it 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 feels much crazy to me. Yeah, it's just the, the threading of the nice yeah. moments mm -hmm. the, needs a better through line. And it is. You do wonder about the writing process of yeah. because well, they, it is. It, it's just someone it up, who often start making it before they finish writing it, right? At Ghibli, and then in this time, yeah. That's the process. They're like, we design it, we figure out the ending later. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, so the way that, that um, Hayao Miyazaki works is mm. that he he starts off with drawings and he doesn't have a script in his head at all. He's just like, this this scene, this scene. And then, yeah, the story kind of comes together. But it wasn't him making this mm. film. Yeah. And not so, everyone can obviously work that way. No, exactly. <laughs> But um, so there's a documentary um, about it, it's 10 years with Hayao Miyazaki and it's basically follows him like working on films and stuff like that. So there's a little bit, I think it's in the first or the second, because there's only four parts of this documentary. There's a bit where he goes to the to watch the kind of like the Earthsea film for the first time. So he goes in there and everyone and he talks about how he was quite angry with his son because he didn't think he was doing it properly so there's already that tension and then he watches it for a certain amount of time and then he walks out before it's finished and goes and sits outside and has a cigarette and he looks pissed off like he looks irritated by it and then eventually he goes out and they you know the he talks to his son and he says oh it's a it's a good film it's a good film and mm -hmm. then after that he says 
I don't don't think he was ready to make a film yet. So <laughs> it's not like he says that it's a bird film. Yeah. But he doesn't, he's not, he's not impressed. I mean, the fact that he walks out and has a cigarette and it, the, it's very, because the documentary is all about him. Obviously it's just part of the whole thing. And it, the documentary definitely shows how moody, like Miyazaki is in terms of like how, you know, how his process is and stuff like that. But he definitely, he's not, he's not on board with it either. And mm-hmm. it does make you kind of think, I, I watched that and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it's yeah. not just me. But, um, but he, he definitely puts across that he hasn't had the experience and he doesn't craft in the same way. I think it, it very much feels like he, he thinks he's bitten off more than he can chew. I feel like mm-hmm. uh, Hayao Miyazaki should be annoyed at himself, right, for not bothering to teach his son how to... Yeah, well, you know, I mean, then then you go down a whole, a whole rabbit hole of what kind of a parent he is. Ooh, well, we see how Aaron <laughs> and his dad got along. Yeah. Well, and that's what's interesting, though, because, you know, he if he walked out and he's, you know, just sitting in the... I mean, that's pretty insulting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, imagine being you know the sun and you're in there hoping to impress your dad for your first film and he walks out before it finishes mm-hmm. that to me i mean no you know I mean, maybe he was out there trying to make sense of the dad killing scene yeah I mean. exactly yeah <laughs> but then then he'll never know that it was never explained <laughs> i know it isn't well like he says he's gonna like face the music at the end of the film but we never actually know like, but we, like, we never know if it's because he was possessed or yeah. but it's... also by the way Goro Miyazaki is directing another Studio Ghibli film is he well I mean how long ago was was this film 2006 so the next one that's coming out which hasn't come out yet it's the earwig and the witch and it's coming out it's oh. meant to come out this year but Ooh, I don't I think, think it's going to for it or oh, some kind of teaser type thing or another. There was some still images of it. Yeah. But this I got was like a, an architect um, and a landscape gardener, but oh, then yeah. he went to work at the Ghibli Museum and he did a really good job there um, with designing it and running it. And that was what convinced them to let him have a film. Let him have a film. But I mean, well. it's quite, it's quite a, a, big thing i mean he's adapting mm-hmm. four books into a two-hour film for a start it's yeah. a very complicated world um but yeah i it definitely i mean if his next film he's had what like 14 years to he got punished <laughs> so maybe it'll be amazing but yeah. when you when you know, I mean, if you went into it without knowing that it was someone's first film, you might actually think it feels like someone's first film. Because no, and I don't, I don't hate it. It's I just not. A, it. No, it's just not. There's not enough of an overarching vision. There are no. really nice moments in it, yeah. but give it like a five out of ten. If mm-hmm. I were, you know, because it's it's watchable, but I I it, I wouldn't die for it. And I feel like all the other films, I I'm like literally. I have tattoos of the other films because I love them so much. Yeah. Whereas this one, I, I kind of, because I saw it in the cinema, knowing that I had to watch it again because of this podcast, I was a little bit like, oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't wait for the other ones. 
because yeah. I love those. But well, then, we got it out of the way. Yeah, I mean, I already, I kind of already knew that I didn't love the first three. I mean, the fourth book in all of this, the fourth book has, has redeemed everything for me because it was so good. But mm-hmm. um, I didn't love the film, and I don't, I don't really love those first books. Yeah. I was kind of I was worried with you guys because you guys both were talking about how much you love Ursula Le Guin. I was reading I was reading this book going like, oh my god, I hate it. Are they gonna hate me? The thing is, she's she's an amazing writer. And like yeah. the world building is mm-hmm. incredible. Really, you know, absolutely. But um not so much on on, you know, like kind of plot. <laughs> so the question is. Is it a good adaptation? Does it capture the essence of the book? No. Um, no. I, the only things that are similar are the names and the, um, and you know, some of the, not even, I mean, it's a similar world, but mm-hmm. it, the essence of the book is not there. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I mean, it's just... Um, it's too black and white, the morality of it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what makes it not feel like a Ghibli film and, and feel yeah. more like um some other style of anime yeah it's like it's, it ends up being good versus evil mm-hmm. which is not what the books were about really yeah and and not what other films are about they're about mm-hmm. layers of characters and the fact that there's good and evil in everyone mm-hmm. um but this was very much like just fighting and like i say that you know if you compare it to fighting in the other ghibli films mm-hmm. It's very different. It just seems to be fighting for the sake of of winning rather than them being all the emotions and stuff underneath. And maybe there were emotions underneath because at some point someone killed their dad. We just don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if it was a three-hour film. Yeah, or, or like a series. I, I mean, I, yeah. I really I feel like with Thirsty in general is that it would make an awesome like Netflix series where yeah. because it's such an interesting world. Oh, she is not granting, or her estate is not granting no. those TV and film rights to anyone anymore. This deserves more time than it's getting. It's apparently, it was her son who convinced her to sell yeah. the rights yeah. in the first place. And I, I'm pretty sure, like, in her will to him, she was like, you are not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> no more. Yes. Because there hasn't been any discussion about anything else no. in both it, of I mean, those disasters. I'd, I'd like to read the short stories that are based around Ursi because it is a fascinating world and the the magic system is lovely and I do think that having read that fourth book it's somewhere that I feel like I would like to know more about because she yeah. is is worth reading I would recommend that yeah she, I haven't read the, the, new, the latest one but I, I mean I will deep dive into all of her other books but um mm-hmm. I, yeah I just feel like it just didn't quite work for me the film and it made me a bit angry because I just didn't connect with it at all I mean that's a that's two hours of my life I'd, well four hours because not I that bad four hours of my life but I just felt it's just oh so, yeah the, the fact you had to watch it a second <laughs> time. but it, I mean it's quite frustrating because you can't you want to connect especially mm-hmm. because I have such a place in my heart for these films and the studio in general but it mm-hmm. just it's it's so hard to connect with but it is a little bit unfair and harsh to be trying to compare Goro to yeah. Hayo. I know, which is why I thought it was interesting that we were, we are doing this one. Yeah, because all but of it, it's one. Studio Ghibli, so we're yes. trying to as yeah, a studio. Yeah, yeah. But it's the only one that won't be. Sorry, 
We're going to do all the adaptations. No, yeah. uh, there's oh, some no. of them that aren't by uh, Miyazaki that we're going to do. Oh. Are we doing Grave of the Fireflies? Yeah, it's on my list. Oh, okay then. Ooh. Also, when Marnie was there. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. What about, are you, is Laputa an adaption? Uh, I don't think so. It's not on my list. I went through them. I mean, it's Nausicaa. There's a few we can't get because they're not in English. Yeah. Only Yesterday, Porco Rosso, Ocean Waves, Whisper of the Heart, Grave of Fireflies, My Neighbor's Yamada's House Movie Castle, uh, Arietti from up on Poppy Hill when Marnie was there. And then there's two that are coming out that are adaptations as well. That's loads. Yeah. So many. We'll be busy for a well, while. I do feel like this was a one-off because we, we are, I mean, it's, it's the first film. And I, I do feel like, my first film wouldn't be that good. For <laughs> <laughs> anyway. a first film, not bad. Pretty good, exactly. But it, if it wasn't a Studio Ghibli film, Absolutely. it would be awesome. But you're mm-hmm. holding up against yeah. such good movies, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm sure some of Hayao's first early works that we've never seen were probably, not perfect. Probably, yeah. So, I mean, you're comparing him to someone who's a master craftsman, yeah. really. But that is very comparable to like Castle of Cagliostro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, do we have any other comments or should we move to our Rose and Thorns? Oh, I've not prepared this. Well, okay. I mean, we can go first there. It's sort of what are your just very specific Rose and Thorns of the book and film? Just to okay. pinpoint. I think for me, for the book, I loved when she kind of dived into some of the little side of universe characters. They were like mini short stories, essentially. Yeah. So like one with the raft people and or we talked about those two uh, stranded people on the desert island. Um, I thought that was great. I would just, those things, I really, yeah. I could see her vision of the universe and that world building, I thought she was amazing at. I think the thorn for the book was Ged and Aaron. The male characters were just so void of real any emotion for me to connect with and to drive me those stories I really struggled with them and then my rose of the film I think you can see his vision of landscape and he does have his own world building skill in a sense of making these beautiful settings and the design around it I think he is very talented at that and if that's what he is working on, I think that's great. And I think, you know, it, it was just, yeah, and the thorn is, it's just the fault, the thread that was sort of connecting the beautiful set pieces that he created didn't allow me. And I think kind of similar to Ursula, like I didn't have an emotional connection to the characters that carried yeah. me through the film. And I, the, the kind of, for me, both the book and the film have the same problem. Yeah. Lauren? So I think uh, obviously my rose is book four, man. <laughs> yeah. It's the best book. It really is. There's conversations that they have between like the characters about like uh like what women's powers are mm-hmm. and um and about like the fact that you know like they people have scars but they're still that they're, they're even more rich because they have the scars and there's a lot of talk about like what um 
you know, the fact that women's work is kind of looked look down on. There's a scene basically in book four where Ged gets up and does the washing up after they have dinner because he's only ever like been on his own and just had to deal with himself. And she's just like, wow, wouldn't it be great if everyone was like that? If there wasn't women's work and men's work, if people just like got on with things. Mm-hmm. But I, the like book four is, is such a gentle look at that world but way more magical to me than the first three books. Yeah. Um, it really just completely saves that whole world for me. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting to see all those characters that aren't wizards. It's like kind of stepping outside of, it does make you think with other, you know, like big series. Like if you look at like something like Harry Potter, which is wizarding school, is that you're, every time you see a little side thing and, and you're like, oh, that would be interesting, that would be interesting. Like you just said, Nora, you know, the people on the island that, that, you know, suddenly you're like, oh, I wonder what happened there, is that there's definitely a lot more, it's such a rich world and book four really, really shows it. Um, yeah. It's one of my favourite books I've read this year and I've read 60 books this year. And that's Wait, a- Earthsea oh, is one of your favourite books this year? Is That is book four. Definitely. Oh, book four of it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's I loved it. it made me cry twice. I loved it. I really Aww. loved it. So yeah, that is my, definitely my rose. Um, and my thorn is the, the horror <laughs> of, uh, I don't know. I, I really felt like I didn't connect with either. Okay. The, the, those, I mean, okay, the start of book two where it's the tombs and the labyrinth, I did quite, kind of like. But I just didn't mm-hmm. feel like I connected with the characters in the films yeah. or or in the film or the books, really. Yeah. Apart from that book four. It's it's such a shame as well, because I love the world. But um I just I was just annoyed with them all. Okay. Not just moody and self-absorbed. Sorry. No. That's, <laughs> that's, you know, it's very fair. <laughs> and then the film. Uh yeah, film, um, Dragon Hug would be my rose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so sweet. And when she sings her song, like moments when they they felt a little bit vulnerable, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm just so confused by the film in general that I think, yeah, the whole thing is my thought. <laughs> it's just like, what just happened here? Yeah, I mean, it had good elements, but it just didn't feel like a, a story to me. Yeah. It felt like scenes from a story, a bigger story. Bless it. Which again, you could do well if you got the characters right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I think uh, I shouldn't have let you guys go first because you took all the good ones. <laughs> you can do the same one. <laughs> um, my rose in the film is the sky and the village women. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that's true. They were good. And my thorn is the simplicity of the the moral message mm-hmm. or confusingness of it. Yeah. Um, and I think in the book, similarly, the sort of the self-flagellation stoicism that's very much a thing in the first three books is then dissected and pulled apart and laughed at a little bit in the fourth book which redeems it if that makes sense yeah it does oh well 
thank you guys that was great thank you more than jenny um for all the listeners i'll make sure to put everyone's social media handles and whatever so you can follow my great <laughs> other hosts who were brilliant thank you for enduring this almost three hour journey yeah, <laughs> <laughs> 